Talk radio? Yes, talk radio. So boring, man. Okay. Shots 22-14. Here's Ward in. Joel Ward scores! He set up the game-tying goal, and now Joel Ward... The former Predator has given the Sharks the lead. Now the Sharks force the turnover in the neutral zone. Ward will take a beautiful pass. No matter what the distance is, you'll be okay. For Valentine's Day, the day of love, 2021, grab your sweetheart and toss on the Laced Up Hockey Podcast, <laughs> the most romantic of hockey podcasts. That's right. Yeah, we're the lovers podcast. That's right. Not not because we're lovers, no. Um, I'm um, James Cole from this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, like when I, when I think romantic hockey podcasts... Uh... Spitting chick chicklets doesn't strike me as a hobby, you know, a super fun PC time. Uh, I am Brutes Bataglia of the High Button. The High Button. That's right. The boys. Um, how is the High Button? I, I like it. Good. good. Good group of guys. They like me. I like them. Good. So good. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. just getting off the ground. I hear it's it's uh, fairly new. Doing quite well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think it's been around for a little while. Okay. But they're just kind of. Starting to ramp up now. So. Right on, right on. And and you are the Jets guy. Yeah, Jets guy. Yeah, forgive me He's for not uh, for not learning the ins and outs of the history of the website. They they didn't brief me, uh, and nor did I want to be briefed. So. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know who is uh, no longer a Jets guy? Okay, Bill Kessel. Uh, Lippy Line. Bill's a Jets fan. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uh, Lippy Line uh, learns a lesson in Columbus. That was my. My nice little okay. My nice little poem. Sure. Lippy Liney learns a lesson. Uh, well, <laughs> I always have to listen and see how long it's going to take for the episode to name itself. Took took ninety seconds this week. Lippy Liney learns a lesson. <laughs> nice. Usually, I don't know what the name is. Doc, doc featuring Doctor Seuss. Yeah, that's good. I never learn the name of the title usually till you post it so that's that's nice now i know yeah well there's no turning back now no. yeah it's a great it's a great title typing it into the manifest right now while um, you talk. patrick line uh new member of the columbus blue jackets uh freshly inserted into the lineup three goals in his first four games looking real good looking real swift out there uh tells uh, one of the assistant coaches to go do something to himself or uh, along those lines he gets gets a little uh, mouthy on the bench mm-hmm. and uh john tortorella does the very john tortorella thing of uh the benching him sure um i don't think i have to point out the fact mm. of how funny it is that john tortorella benched the guy that replaced the guy yeah. that left because he got benched yeah yeah, like my first question was kind of like, how often does like, uh, like how often does I don't know who's a guy on the team? How often does fucking Emil Bemstrom get benched? 
You know? Yeah. Like, how, how often do does anyone... Like, is this a thing that happens routinely and we just never hear about it because it's never... Like, well, Nick Foligno says so. Like that, it happens all the time? Well, he comes out the other day, he says, oh, everyone gets benched. We all we all get benched. So, Felino said that? Yeah. In addition to Cam Atkinson coming out and being maybe, like... Uh, maybe I've got my guys confused. Okay, I was wondering if it happened. I thought it was I thought it was Captain Felino, but... Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't see the correlation anywhere. Like, I'm not missing the gaps in ice times game in and game out where everybody's had their turn. I don't I don't remember Zach Wrenski riding the pine uh last season at all. Unless we're all just missing a, a big storyline that is very easy to track and observe. Hmm. I I had an issue with with everything. Well how do you want to go about this? Do you want to go in order of the timeline? Are we gonna discuss the timeline of everything happening? Or or do you want to just talk about the issue as a whole and just get right into it? Well, I don't know the timeline, so why don't you tell me about the timeline, and then I'll learn something, well, and the listeners can learn sure, something. Sure, yeah. I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but I mean, like, line A gets benched, yeah. kind of thing. After the game, Torts comes out with the comment, the last thing I want to do is bench anybody. Yeah, the last thing I want to do is bench anybody. Which, to me, and to everyone on the internet, was probably the funniest thing I saw on the internet all week. Oh, yeah. Um, the memes were insane. You know, everyone kind of had their, the last thing I want to do, and then everyone tweeted their favorite thing to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the last like, thing the we want to do the, is put out a podcast. That's right. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, the last thing the last thing I want to do on this podcast is is chirp someone from Columbus. But you know what? I'm going to do it, right? And and so my tweet, because for those of you who don't have Twitter, I thought it was quite clever, was the last thing I want to do is watch the same episodes of The Office I've seen 27 times, because... I just do it. Just keep doing it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So does everyone. It's yeah. like everyone's uh, comfort show for our generation. Like the last generation had friends or whatever, and now we have fucking the office, right? So that 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 comes out. That happens. Uh, then you got Cam Atkinson, like you said, he goes on the on the press conference there, and he's talking about how you know everyone kind of is under the same sort of thumb here in Columbus, and if you don't. Uh, if you don't straighten up and fly right, this is how things happen here, and you just kind of have to get used to it, and the same applies for all of us and all that shit. And then Line A comes out and apologizes, and the story comes out basically that uh, Patrick Line A had mouthed off to a member of the coaching staff, and he was very sorry, and he accepted responsibility for that, you know. And so, like, I thought that was interesting, because in the course of all this happening, there also was Aaron Portsline, who works for The Athletic, who's a very well-respected writer in the NHL, is considered one of the best, if not the best, beat writer in the league. He's fantastic. And he comes out and goes on the radio the day after the benching and said that he heard rumblings that perhaps John Tortorella wants out in Columbus. And he's kind of trying to uh, force his way out, in a way, uh, and didn't come across and actually say this because Aaron Portsline can't, you know, accuse people of things, but, you know, more or less uh, implied that John Tortorella is maybe trying to get fired so he gets paid and then gets to go take another job and get paid like for the U.S. The Olympic team. Sure. So, you know, that was fascinating. And that started a whole thing where everyone's like, wow, Columbus is a shithole. And then an hour after that, an hour. Miko Koivu was like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm done. I've had it. I'm yeah. out. 
I'm I'm done. So Miko Koiver retired this week, which everyone at first was like, yeah, I mean, if you're just going to be sitting in the oh, press box. fucking pro- Miko Koiver still playing? If you're going to sit in the press box all year, you probably don't want to have to convince John Tortorella that you're the one that should be playing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why would you want to put up with that shit all year? So everyone's like, wow, that's how bad it is in Columbus. It's literally all the Finnish guys are just fucking leaving. Like, Corpus Allo's, like, on a on a fucking bus to Philadelphia or something. It's crazy. Um, but, of course, none of this seemed to be true later in the week when it's all, you know, he just moused off to an assistant coach. And so I thought that was super interesting because everyone was already writing off line A to potentially just get traded again. Maybe that's what was going to happen. And I, I don't think I ever took it that far. I'm pretty level-headed, I think, when it comes to all this kind of stuff. Shit happens. Um, I was sort of outraged the night when it happened, as outraged as I get these days about these things, because I don't understand what a, what a player could possibly do in their fourth game with a team that you would sit them for a period and a half um, if it was on the ice. Like, that's just, that. that's the that's the type of shit where if I was the GM, I would just fucking fire torts right then and there. Uh, if you're not willing to teach a new player on the team who also happens to be what some people consider the most talented young goal scorer in the league, uh, who's also like 22 years old and you're not going to work with him, then, then get out of town. The fuck out of here. But if he's mouthing off to your coaches, yeah, I think that that's kind of fair. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, so that was my initial thought. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and like, a lot to, to kind of dissect there. Oh, it's a big one. Um, I'm not really sure where to begin. It's uh, a big one. I, I, I'll, I'll start by saying I don't think Torts is looking to get out of town. I, I'm i not in a position to argue with the Columbus Blue yeah, Jackets beat writer. I'm sure there's some... I'm sure there's some truth to the theory. Like, I'm sure it's based off some sort of... Like, maybe he's... Maybe he's leaving after his contract or something. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe it's coming from somewhere. Yeah. But I agree with you. I don't... I don't see how that's the move you make if you're trying to get fired. He... He can do a lot of things. He likely different. wants out of his job... As much as any of us want out of our jobs, like that one Wednesday afternoon where it's sure. just like I'm qu- I'm quitting. Sure. This is it. I'm, I'm yeah. quitting tomorrow. And then like two <laughs> years later, it happens again, and you're like I'm. This is it. I'm quitting them. And so I don't know. It's been a really shitty couple of weeks for the guy in a yeah. sense with the spotlight and everything, and, and like rightfully so. I'm not trying to like say he doesn't deserve the attention he's getting, but um, I don't buy that he wants out. And in saying that, it, it adds fuel to the fire of, of the idea that this is his team. Like, to me, like, John Tortorella thinks that this is the John Tortorella Jackets. And I don't care if your name is Patrick Line. I don't care if you're uh, a thousand-game uh, veteran of the NHL. Um, you're not doing anything unless I tell you, it's okay to do it. Now, the benching to me is is really confusing. Well, are you done with the torts wanting out? Let's part? sure, sure. I'll, let's. Cause I want to nip that in the bud as well. Was my biggest issue. I didn't mention it because I was just trying to sum it up. But my yeah. thought on that as well was later that day I looked it up and then I looked it up again just to confirm it to make sure I'm right. 
is John Tortorella's contracts up at the end of the year. Mm. So if he wants out, he's just got to get through like four more months and they're going to give him two and a half million dollars. Yeah. Then he can just leave. And now, and, and you <laughs> know what? I wherever you want. I didn't realize it was done this year. Yeah. So I don't maybe, think most people did. Maybe he's doing the Art Howe thing where he's trying to like, how do I get myself sure. a job? Sure. You and know? I, as much as I hate Art Howe in Moneyball. Yeah. Although I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's one of the greatest actors of my generation. He, he had a point in that scene. And I always try to reference that when it comes to this kind of shit, because that is very real in sports, right? As a coach and a general manager trying to explain the moves they made mm-hmm. in a job interview, it has to kind of make sense in that. Yeah, up, right? no, exactly. And um, I don't know if benching a goal a game player is uh, the best way to explain those decisions to your potential new boss, but uh, John Torello seems to be taking that route. So... Um, yeah, just kind of going back to it though, the, the the benching for me was really bizarre because um, we've seen this from from Tortorella, and he comes out and he talks about how the last thing he wants to do is bench a player. It's like okay, well you kind of have a, a history of benching players, and he well he this this kid mouthed off to my my coach. It's like okay, yeah, you shouldn't do that, but. Let's review here. You guys are down by a goal against a divisional rival. Yeah. And this kid's been in town for five games, not even at the time. No, this was game number four. Yeah, game number four. So maybe there's an excellent opportunity, a a learning curve, uh, if you will, to take a young player aside at intermission and explain to him, hey, I don't know how you guys did things in Winnipeg. This is how we do them in Columbus. Yeah. You know, bench them for the rest of the second period, maybe. Um, but, like, to make it such a public or, ordeal, again, this is this is ice time. We can track this. You don't have to be at the game to know if a guy's been benched or not. Uh, it's either, uh, oh, he played eight minutes. Was he hurt? No. Oh, he was benched. That's the only other option, right? Mm-hmm. So... This this now just feeds back into my idea of, of this being the, the egotistic nature of John Torrell, who has to have his way or the highway. Because there, there's no benefit to the to the rest of the team, because you're benching the, the guy that's potentially going to get you back into it, tie the game up, get you the point. It doesn't help the player, new to the city, new to the organization, um, new to the league in some respects like the, like you said he's still only 22 years old he's still learning the you know the sport at this at this level you're you're literally just taking and putting the spotlight on yourself which unless you think the spotlight on Patrick Line in Columbus Ohio yeah. is burning a little too bright yeah. that doesn't make any sense either so i just i don't really get what he thought this was going to accomplish now Lion has gone on. He's got a, a goal and an assist in the next two games uh, since the benching. Uh, message received, I, I, I guess. I, I don't know. But like, is this is this a Patrick Line that's going to want to um, re up his contract when it ends with the Columbus Blue Jackets? If sure. if, if John Torrell is still the guy behind the bench, because this is where this is leading to. Four games in, and I'm going to you know be the hard ass uh, boss figure instead of the take you aside of the second remission, explain the ropes. Well, okay, well, fuck you. I'm not... I, why would I want to come back? 
And now if John Torres is leaving, well, you know, that's an open discussion. Now a whole bunch of pressures on Yermo Kekalainen to have to choose between these two opposite facets. So to me, this was a lose-lose for everybody involved. And I don't really see what the intended outcome was supposed to be here. Yeah, I mean, when I heard the whole, you know, excuse of it being him mouthing off to an assistant coach, my thought was that if I were his coach and he had done that, I would have done the same thing. But the difference is that my coaching experience is minor hockey with 15 to 17-year-olds. And at that point, it becomes a character sort of teaching. Sure. Now, I'm not saying you don't want to do that with a 22-year-old. When it comes to a 22-year-old professional athlete, I don't think that that's the way to handle it. Mm -hmm. I don't think... Um, like, the whole thing is that you want to teach them, but you're still trying to win a game. You're still trying to, to, to build something there. And maybe Tortorella's thought was that because it's early on in his relationship with Patrick Liney, maybe it's going to mean a lot more to do it now. And, it, and it's really going to get through to him. And the, the thing that... that I always come back to when it comes to this kind of stuff, and especially when it comes to Patrick Liney, because we all know he's a different animal. I don't know Patrick Liney. I don't know how to get through to him. I don't know. I, I from from the outside looking in, I don't think I really get how he ticks. And I think maybe Torts saw something where he looked at it and thought, you know what? If I do this now, I think it's gonna really, really do something for this kid. And if that's what you think, fair enough. Sure. I, you know. But I had a couple problems with it where, you know, that, that's me just kind of trying to play devil's advocate, I think, a little bit. But, but this is what I actually see here. He made a public spectacle out of something that, in my opinion, on the outside looking in, when, it's, when you're talking about an NHL player, we could have just handled that behind fucking closed doors for sure. The amount of times that that happens in a game in the NHL... I'm not on an NHL bench, but I know it's pretty high. Do you remember the incident with fucking Nathan McKinnon absolutely losing his shit on Jared Bednar on the fucking bench? Mac played his next shift, like he didn't he didn't get benched. So I I I don't think that that went unaddressed, and that happens all the time. I'm sure like these guys are all athletes at their peak performance, and they're trying to win this trophy that they've been aiming for since they were a kid, I guarantee you these blow-ups happen all the fucking time. But I don't agree with making a public spectacle out of it. I, I thought that, especially given everything else that's going on there, all it does is add pressure to Line A, it adds pressure to Torts, it adds pressure to the team. I think it was all unnecessary attention for, for something that sounded like it was a verbal disagreement. Yeah. Now, uh, here's where the conspiracy theorist in me comes in. And uh, I don't have any evidence, really. It's just one simple fact that I think everyone's overlooking. If Patrick Line had mouthed off to the assistant coach, why was Dean Kukin benched the rest of the game then? Because if it was Line mouthing off to the assistant coach, what did Dean Kukin do to not fucking play a single shift the rest of the game? They have six defensemen in the lineup, and they sat a fucking defenseman for 26, 37 minutes, whatever the fuck it was. So how does Dean Kukin fucking factor into this? And so when I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then a day later, I remember Dean Kukin being benched, and it's like, well, 
then, <laughs> like, what happened here? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, you, you can't tell me it was two guys mouthing off to the assistant coach, and then you get asked about it, and you you fail to mention Kukin being involved, and Kukin doesn't have any questions from the media either. Like, it, it, it all just didn't really add up to me. And so when I saw that, I, I thought that I'm sure maybe Lion A mouthed off to an assistant coach. There's probably some truth to it. I'm sure something happened, but I don't think Columbus is explaining it the way it happened. Mm. So I'm not saying that any of that matters. But my point here is that I'm, I would probably keep a little bit of an eye on that situation a little bit. Yeah. Because um, I think there might be a little bit more to it. And it's not that. Uh, it's going to be anything that's going to come up again or, or matter at all ever again. And, and this, we might have just spent all this time talking about some nonsense. But I, I'm a little curious as to the whole story there because uh, the explanation we're being fed doesn't really make a lot of sense. So um, basically where am I at on that one? I, I wish everyone involved the best because I do find Torts entertaining and I do think he is a good coach in some respects. But... Um, yeah, this this team's a little bit of a of a tire fire as far as I'm concerned, and I don't really have a lot of faith in yeah in this being a team that's ever really going to win a Stanley Cup. Like they're just the Islanders, uh, basically, and now they have a guy that can score goals. Like they're just a team that's going to try to grind out every win, and eventually the, a better team is going to win in the playoffs at some point. And um, that's the Torts model, and this team is going to continue to play that way under Torts. And it's not going to put any additional pressure on Yarmo Kekalainen to really do anything with this roster because he is making a bad team good enough to win every night. And I, I think the problem is, 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 is Torts going to get fired? No, because I think Torts might be the only reason Yarmo Kekalainen has a job at this point. Well, we'll have to we'll have to watch that. Like, like I said, I didn't realize that this was the last year of his contract. It's the last year of Line's contract. Um, I sure wouldn't want to be Armo Kekalainen right about now. It's going to be an interesting uh, uh, next few months to see uh, how how they handle this. If I'm if I'm Patrick Laine, how are you not going to the GM and in your native tongue explaining to this guy that um, yeah I'm probably just not going to sign here if that's that's my coach. Yeah. But um, it'll be interesting because like how, how many times we talked to, how many times have we talked about you know, these guys having to make that decision. Do you, do you choose between the star player or the coach? And Columbus has chosen the coach the last few times, you know, potentially. I'm not going to sit here and say that these guys all left Columbus because of Tortorella, but and I think you can... situations that didn't help. Yeah, you could you could probably connect the dots enough to make a a pattern that says, eh, yeah, it didn't help, right? Take, yeah. take him out of the equation. Oh, all of a sudden, that... $10 million contract from the Columbus Blue Jackets doesn't look so bad for Artemi Panarin. So well, and and that's what I was gonna say too is like the more you get to the more you get to know these NHL players as their career go on, you kind of get to know them not just as an athlete, but kind of away from the ice and things that they think and things that make them tick. And the more we've gotten to know about Artemi Panarin since he's left Columbus, I can't see him and Torts ever having gotten along. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the more we get to know about things he thinks and his. Uh, I hate to bring this shit up, but like political leanings and stuff like that. And the more we know about kind of Torts' thoughts on that kind of stuff. And it's like, what the fuck would those two guys have had in common other than that they both like hockey? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. What, the, what the fuck were Torts and Artemi Panarin ever going to talk about? Politics? No. Music? No. Like, wh- like, what do they talk about? Nothing. They probably didn't fucking like each other. Now he plays in New York for David Quinn. But still. 
Uh, real quick, uh, just uh, your 20-second thoughts, memoriam to the career of... <laughs> memoriam is the wrong word, memoriam. for sure. Oh, um, just just yeah. your, your thoughts on Miko Koivu's career. Yeah, you left us too soon, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah well, not really. Um, yeah, Miko Koivu, fucking really underrated career, in a yeah. sense, because he... He played for Minnesota for a long time, and at at no point was Miko Koivu like their star player. That's a crazy thing on a team that didn't have a star to begin with. He was never like the guy you thought of when you thought of the Wild. Um, but he played over a thousand games there, and you know had a sixty plus point season a few times. His regular seventy one you know, points was his career high. Regular fifty plus guy, right? For so the fucking Minnesota uh, Wild. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, awesome career. Very, very good player, and uh, he will be missed. Sixth overall pick in 2001, of course, the younger brother of Saku Koivu. Um, this is a guy that I always kind of wondered what he could have been in a different organization or just with a winger that maybe had a little bit more competence uh, in terms of how to play the game. Um, I, I, I felt he was kind of left in a, in a bad situation that he clearly loved. Like, he, he loved Minnesota. Like you don't stick around in an organization that long, uh, you know, play a thousand games for a, for a team that if, if you don't think it's a real cool place to be. Um, so, uh, uh, you know what? I, I wish he could have had maybe a, a better stat line to end, end the career. Like this is a guy that's going to go down 711 points. Fantastic little underrated player, like you said. So, um, Wishing him uh, all the best in, in whatever he has. You know what? Honestly, this is a guy, I, you know, 40, 40 years old, comes out of retirement, goes on a run with the Wild. Like, who fucking knows? I'm just, just joking. I run with the Wild. Pulls a club from you. Yeah. Or a Mike Fisher. But or a J- Justin Williams. Or... Well, because you said comes out of retirement at 40. So I was thinking yeah. of like a prolonged absence where oh. it didn't make any sense. You remember when Claude Lemieux retired yeah. for like six years and then it's like, yeah, he signed a contract with the San Jose Sharks, and it's like, 44. yeah, I could see him being a good assistant coach, and they're like, no, he's going to play on the team. <laughs> didn't uh, I'm sorry, what? Didn't Steve Thomas do the same kind of thing with the Leafs? I don't think it was Kinda, as long. Kinda, it was yeah, like no, two I think years. It was, I think it was like two or three years, yeah. maybe at the most. But yeah, fucking, uh, fucking, and Steve. he didn't make it out of training camp. Yeah, that was a crazy thing with Claude Lemieux. Yeah. I don't even think that was a training camp thing, man. I'm pretty. If I remember correctly, it was in like January of that season. It's like Claude Lemieux attempting a comeback. I'll never forget the tweet from Elliot Friedman reading it, and I'm like, Nah, come on. <laughs> like, it's got to be April first, but it's like January twentieth or something, eh? He came in and I, I don't know, he played like a bunch of games. I think that year though, he played like twenty fucking something games or something for them, like crazy. Yeah, uh, my favorite part about the uh, Steve Thomas uh, comeback redemption tour was uh, the fact that this guy played over 370 games as a Toronto Maple Leaf, all wearing the number 32, the famous number 32, and he comes back from training camp, and they make him wear 33 because Veza Toscala or some shit wouldn't give up number 32. Like, it wasn't someone... it was Michael Telkovic. Like, someone... Yeah, yeah. Like, someone that didn't really, like, need to hang on to the number just was like, no, go fuck yourself. Like, <laughs> this is my number. Claude Lemieux retired in 2003 and then played 18 games in 2008-2009 for the San Jose Sharks. He got a point. He had a point. That's, he had an assist. That's pretty fucked. Isn't that crazy? Oh, like, I honestly... I don't like the guy. I think that's the one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And like in my in my time as an NHL fan, is this guy who 
was bad his final, like, five years in the league. Then takes an additional five years off and is like, I'm going to play hockey again. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, like, imagine his buddies just being like, oh, yeah, man, I think you can do it. Like, imagine being at a bar that night with your buddy. <laughs> you think I can do it? You don't think I can do it, can you? No, <laughs> I'm going to do don't. it. You're fucking stupid. You're out of your mind. Why? Like, I'd be like the Jay Baruchel there. Be like, no, you're going to get fucking killed. And like, a really bad idea. <laughs> um... All right, yeah. Uh, all the best, Miko Koivu. Uh, one last thing, Columbus Blue Jackets talk. Uh, sorry, we're gonna we're gonna move on. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. I think we might honestly just be down to cooks and listen to this at this point. So, oh, nice. um, the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Carolina Hurricanes had a game in which there was some controversy because apparently the Columbus Blue Jackets are the league's soap opera and they can't do anything at any point without having a controversy. Um, so they're uh, nearing the end of the second period, and uh, the game is tied. And the Carolina Hurricanes... They're, they're good for you, man. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, and the uh, Carolina Hurricanes are coming uh, to the uh, Blue Jackets zone, and they, they set up, and they do their, their passes, and they do their... Their their signaling and then whatever else a team does. You'd be I don't, a terrible play-by-play guy. I don't really watch hockey. They're doing I mean, the I passes. I don't really. Know. Oh baby! I don't really know how the sport works. Scores. You know, uh, they ticked, tacked, and towed their way to a goal, and um, right away, John Torrell. I'm going to challenge that because right. it clearly looks like Tervo Teravainen is offside. So they fucking. Do you hear about this? They. They get them honestly, not no? really. Like okay. I know what you're talking about, yeah. but I actually don't know what happened. So when you're describing this, you're describing it for me because I look at this. You're t- you're teaching me. I'm teaching you. This is, this yeah. is like a little interactive podcast. Right? Yeah. Um. I ranted most of my explanation, but so so the 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 referees get on the get on the blower, the you know, old timey term for the phone. Wow. And and they call Toronto. Ahoy hoy. Ahoy hoy. They call. <laughs> Mr. Burns on one end. Mr. Snrub on the other. They call the war room in Toronto. Now, now here's something that's interesting that most people don't realize. The NHL made a change to how they're doing video review in which they've added an extra step for reasons we do not know. So essentially, the war room reviews the play and then their job is to contact the arena and speak to a guy who is then going to tell the referees what the war room is saying. Somewhere along this phone call game of a goal review, the middleman in the arena decides to give his opinion to the war room while still on the line with the linesman. Mm -hmm. So the war room and the linesman both hear oh, that's a good goal from this third party at the arena. Mm-hmm. The referees take off their headset. They hand it back to the usher in the in the penalty box there. Okay, we got our call. It's a good goal. Now, normally, how this was explained to me is, is there's been miscommunications in the past. And what will happen is the war room or the league office or whoever 
will get back on their blower. That's still a phone. Yeah. And they'll call the arena directly and talk to the guy in the penalty box and be like, whoa, 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 something got messed up. Blow everything dead. But because of COVID, the guy in the penalty box couldn't put the headset back on because he had to first disinfect it after the referees had used it. That's right. And by the time he had cleaned it and put it back on, the puck had been dropped, the next play had started, a play in which, oh, by the way, the Blue Jackets get a penalty on because they failed a challenge on a goal review. And the last 45, 50 seconds or whatever was left ticked down and the period ends. And then we realize the mistake. And now the referees understand what has happened. And what do they do? Oh, we're going to take the penalty off. Colin Campbell calls him up. Yeah, just get rid of the penalty. Well, can we just get rid of the goal? Oh, we can't do that. We've never done that before. Well, why would we get rid of the penalty? We've never done that before either. Well, what do you want us to do? So they literally come out to start the third. They've removed the rest of the penalty, but somehow the goal still stands. And the Blue Jackets go on to lose by a goal. Isn't this a fun league? Isn't this just a really well-run, oiled machine of a sports a multi-billion dollar industry that just seems to have it all figured out. Isn't it great? It's a shit show. I mean, like, it's not that I can't come up with a better idea. It's just I choose not to think about these things because they make me mad. You know what I mean? Like, the Leafs lost 2-1, and I'm I'm not making uh, fucking excuses because whatever, like, goals happen. But the goal was a high stick that the Leafs didn't challenge because if they got it wrong, they would have got a penalty with like two and a half minutes left. And was it conclusive enough on the first watch to say that a stick was too high? No, but if you watch it for 45 seconds, it was too high. You know what I mean? So what did the fucking, what did they do? It's like, well, it's not worth the risk. Just take the goal and let's try to come back. Well, yeah. But like, was it too high? Yeah, bad goal. Canadians get two points, Leafs get none. Fair enough. Whatever. You know, if you're going to win the game, you'll find a way to win. They didn't find a way to win. They fucking lost. So who cares? Who gives a shit? But like, it was one of those things where I'm watching and be like, that ah, rules kind of fucking doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Sure. You know what I mean? Like, this is the best way we got to do this shit is just to fucking watch a replay one time and be like, ah, it's not worth the risk. And if I watch it another time, I'll get a delay of game penalty. So we got to play. Just a, right. uh, uh, an absolute comedy of errors, though. And again, like, I, I, I know exactly... That's what I mean, though. Yeah. Like, going back to that, it's just like, for that being the process... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's such a broken system, because you're, like, for it to come down to the, uh, the guy fucking cleaning his headset. Like, what are we talking about? Isn't this a fucking professional sports league yeah and, and supposedly has a multi-million dollar television deal what, so that's the league what, we're talking about what because like there's fucking minor hockey leagues that are run better than this some come well, on. not ours but some are well most some are um but what purpose does this third man like serve in the building i don't like I don't this know. is what boggles my mind what was going so wrong before that we had to add this arbitrary Third, like, does the war room just want a guy that is literally like the watch the sport type of person? Is is that what they want? Like, oh, we got your fancy stats and your computer off to the side, but I need a man in the building. I need eyes on the scene. I got to have a guy on the ground. I, I don't understand what the purpose is. Isn't that the referee? Isn't he the guy inside the building? Isn't he the guy on the ground? 
I just don't understand what that we're paying that guy a salary to That's sit right. in the fucking building and do That's this. Right. James, what if I told you that uh, when you go and buy a ticket to go watch a game, that part of that money goes to his salary? What if I told you that? And 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 the idea that we're gonna roll Colin Campbell out. I thought he retired. And they they wheel this guy out the the next day to explain how they came to this decision. Why get rid of the penalty if you're not going to get rid of the goal? Like one results in the other. You reset. You you take the goal off. You reset. The, you you still flood the ice. Whatever we see before. You 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 flood the ice. So oh, remember when the uh, the glass the the panes of glass used to break with like a minute left, and they'd just be like. Ah, fuck it. We're going to send the guys to the dressing room. We'll fix the glass. We'll do the ice. We'll come out. We'll play the last minute. And then we'll start the period. They've There's a precedent for that. They've done it in the past. So yeah. just reset the clock. Take the goal off the board. The guy comes out of the penalty box. The Blue Jackets get their challenge back. And what happens? We spend an extra 90 seconds on the air in the name of getting it right. Kind of I, fucked up. I actually kind of love Colin Campbell because he's just the face of death. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if the NHL's got to wheel him out for something, it's like, ah, this this isn't going to be good. When is it ever good news? You know what I mean? Like, does Gary Bettman ever come out and tell us that the league, you know what I mean? Like, when the league inevitably loses, like, $100 million from this season or more, they're going to, well, probably a lot more, actually, now that I'm doing the quick math. When when they have to announce that the league lost half a billion dollars because of playing this season, it's not going to be Gary Bettman making the announcement. It's going to be Colin Campbell for some reason. Even though he's the director of hockey ops, they're going to find a way for him to be the guy. You know? Yeah, he's Fuck the him. face of death. As far as I'm concerned, every fucking, every announcement, anything, anytime the NHL needs to speak to us, it should just be Bill Daly. Because he's the only guy where it's just like, yeah, you know, I like the cut, the cut of this guy's jib, you know? But the Blue Jackets had wished they uh, re-signed Gregory Campbell. Uh, <clears throat> had him on the team. Mm. Re-signed? Um, what re-signed when? Fucking eight years ago? <laughs> 2016. 2016? Yeah. He was still in the league? That's crazy. 82 games of the Blue Jackets. Not good for Greg Campbell. They're just Stanley Cup champion. Um, okay. All right. The, the big oh. news. The, uh, the shish to the kebab. Wow. The wiener inside the hot dog. Okay. The uh, the that's enough. <laughs> the secret message on the candy heart. Um, Happy Valentine's Day, Brian Burke and Ron Extall, baby. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow. Wait. Right? Oh wait. Columbus was the, Columbus was the preview. Wow. Yeah, this is the the hot tamale. Holy shit! I knew there was something real good on this episode. I just couldn't remember what it was. Cool. All right. Well, let's let's do it. All right. Brian Burke finally won the lottery, and he's uh, he's the guy. That's so cool. In Pittsburgh, he is the very first president of hockey operations right. to serve for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, fucking, what's the Pittsburgh model? What are you yeah. talking about, Pittsburgh model? What is that? Won a goddamn lottery. Um, he wasn't uh, wrong. He wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. <laughs> but it's also hilarious. That how... wasn't a Steve Simmons question, was it? I don't know who'd asked it. Yeah, yeah. I don't but think like, it was, but fuck. but like, I I'm a little disappointed. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna be upfront here. Sure. I I'm a little disappointed in Brian Burke because this is this is the guy that I I've, I've been told my entire hockey watching career. 
that he's he's like the I'm not comparing the political views, but he's like he's the Donald Trump of hockey. Where like he's going to tell you what's what. He's not going to beat around the bushes. Here's the honest truth. If it sucks, it sucks. Too bad. Rub some dirt in it. Um, they interview him about this new job, and Greg Wyshynski brings up the Pittsburgh model qu- quote to Brian Burke, and Brian Burke's answer is, oh, yeah, you know, uh, no, every time I, I joke about it, it was a joke, but I, I still see... You weren't joking, buddy. No, you were not telling a, a fable tale of mystery and, and, and comedy when you explained that you were not happy with the idea of the Pittsburgh model. Yeah, they did win a lottery. It's not a plan for success. And now you're trying to backtrack in an interview and say, eight years ago, I, I was joking? No, come on, man. We like we, That's not what we even want to hear. Just own own it and move forward. Yeah, they won a lottery. I wasn't the GM here eight years ago. What do you want me to say? Now I am. It's great. Too fucking bad. I like. I don't know. Deal with it. <laughs> you you want a job in the NHL? Come on, come try me. They didn't hire you. They hired me. <laughs> All right, Bruce is getting a little uh, worried, so I should wrap that up. No, I I love when you get excited. <laughs> to be honest, with you. you've been getting a little more excited lately. It's been kind of fun. But like, you know what I mean? Like, it was just so disheartening to watch like this this grizzled veteran of the league yeah. that that always stood I by guess. his word and was just like ah, i'm not, yeah, I'm not no, gonna, I was joking I'm, I'm not gonna say you're wrong it's not necessarily how i see it but i uh i don't care one way or another really when it comes to brian burke i don't uh i don't necessarily look i actually love his <clears throat> his television personality um and the way that he is in these press conferences and interviews and things like that i think that it it adds value to what he actually brings as an executive. Um, but I, I don't necessarily care what he has to say a lot of the time. Um, and that's not to say that I don't like him. I, I am actually a, uh, I am a huge Brian Burke fan, uh, almost to a fault, I would say, because um, I, I'm willing to evaluate the man and look at what he does and admit that uh, he's done a lot of bad things as a general manager. Um, but I do, I don't hate the fit in Pittsburgh, which I thought I did when I saw the announcement because Brian Burke was not someone I thought was ever going to be working in the front office of a NHL team ever again at, at anything more than a consultant role. Um, well, he himself said he was done president in the front office of an NHL president of hockey operations, about as big as it gets. Uh, is it though? I well, it's that's the that's it. There's nothing higher other than owner. Well, I and, and I agree. sort of anyway, but I I agree. But when you're talking about a franchise that has literally never had the position, isn't it kind of weird that we just invented the position? Like you guys were doing fine. You you won three so cups here, in the here, last here's decade. Here's why I like it is I like the idea of Brian Burke. Signing off on deals and overseeing the general direction, but not being the one making the call. And I also like the idea of Brian Burke, if this goes for any franchise that wanted to give him this job, uh, doing PR um, appearances for you. Like, to be honest with you, that that he even said this, like, 
that is probably the majority of the job of president of hockey operations is a figurehead. So I like that because he's the perfect fucking guy. Having met him and had a conversation with him, he is phenomenal with fans. So I like the idea of him doing that kind of shit and Ron Hextall not having to do it because this is my other point. I think Ron Hextall's a pretty good fucking general manager from what he did in Philadelphia. He uh, saw that that team wasn't going to win a Stanley Cup immediately and started stocking the cupboards with draft picks, trading off pieces and getting returns he had no business getting. I still don't know how they got the fucking package they did for Braden Shen. As good as Shen's been in St. Louis. Come on. What the, what, what the fuck are we talking about here? That, that's an insane return for Braden Shen. So I think Ron Hextall does a lot of good things. I just kind of like the idea of Brian Burke, who's a friend of Ron Hextall, kind of being in his ear, being like, you know what, maybe maybe we should be more aggressive here. Or, or you know, we got to go out and do this, do that. The reason I like Brian Burke being there with Ron Hextall is this team needs to win now. And they need to win now within reason. They can't, you know, put all their chips in one basket, trade Chris Letang for something that's going to be the answer. So Kessel. And then if it doesn't, sure. And then if it doesn't work out, then they're fucked, right? They got to be careful because they've only got so many moves left because there's not a lot of trade assets here. Oh, there's. Right? If any. Right? So I like the idea of Brian Burke kind of just being there to oversee those moves because I think they need to be aggressive, but they need to realize that they are a couple bad moves away from this being over. And if there's one thing I'm going to say about both Ron Hextall and Brian Burke, I like most of the trades that, not most of the trades for Brian Burke because he made fucking hundreds of them. But I like most of the trades Ron Hextall made. I like a lot of the ideas behind Brian Burke's trades anyway. You know, he's made a lot of good ones. Yeah, and it's interesting because you're talking about, I think, a guy in Ron Hextall that drafts really really well, where Brian Burke, Kay's really struggled in the last few drafts that he's been involved in. Um, but that, that's why he's better, I think, ops than he is GM. Right, because I don't think Brian Burke has a perfect understanding of how the NHL works anymore in terms of the on-ice product. But I think he's got a decent idea of who to target and how to kind of get them and negotiations and things like that. Yeah. And and that helps. For sure, yeah. You know, and like I said, like Ron Hextall's a guy that can draft. Brian Burke's a guy that knows how to swing a deal. Um now, unfortunately, like you said, like there there isn't a lot for these guys to work with. Like uh, you got a, a second round pick this year, and then a fifth and a couple sevenths. So unless you're looking at moving out picks for 2022 in order to get better now, which yeah, I don't really know if that's the approach you want to take either. You know, this is a club that's got the the lowest ranked prospect pool in the NHL. Um, and it will be lower than Seattle's when Seattle starts to exist as well. I, I just don't really know what you're hoping to, to do with this roster. I'm not saying that these guys are the wrong choice for the job. No, I hear what you're saying. I'm just kind of curious as to what what moves these aggressive gentlemen are, are going to be able to swing. Are we talking about Evgeny Malkin getting dealt for somebody a little younger, but 
maybe not as good. Evgeny Malkin's not having a good year, but he's still Evgeny Malkin. He's got that name value. Um, he can he can bring a a return. I think at this stage still um, mid season, but he's got the no move clause, and so does Crosby. And Tucker's got the no trade. Or Zucker, sorry, Zucker has the no trade, and Latang's got the no move. So I, I just see see this as a situation where we got two big profile guys that have been brought in, and I don't really know what they're going to do. Like I don't know what they can do. This might be a very, you know, reserved type of uh, next few months for these two guys, uh, which is a little bit out of character, uh, as you alluded to. Like these these guys are, are used to going out there and making trades and and uh, and and making deals and working the phones and all this. So um, I, I think it's a really good hire in Ron Hextall for Pittsburgh. I think it's an intriguing, I'm not saying it's a bad one. I, I think it's a very intriguing hire in Brian Burke. And I'd love to know what Ron Hextall thinks about, you know, the them creating this position for the first time, um, bringing him in. To me, you know, I, I hope it was addressed in the interview at some point. Um, the idea of doing this, but bringing in Brian Burke. What Brian Burke said, the timeline went down was that um, Brian Burke was was because he's friends with people involved with Pittsburgh, uh, mostly Ron Burkle. Was that um, Brian Burke was being asked late last week about certain general manager candidates and what Brian Burke thought about them and what they bring and what they don't bring. You know, he was working with Mike Fuda on fucking Sportsnet. You know, they're asking about Mike Fuda. Like he knew all the candidates. He knew what he thought they did well, what they didn't do well. <clears throat> and so they told him just in casual message um, that they were going to go with Ron Hextall. And Brian Burke said, that's, you know, it's great. I think that's your right choice. And uh, Mario Lemieux apparently during the day on Friday asked Ron, you know, how he knew all this about all these candidates. And Ron basically said he's been talking to Brian Burke. And Mario said, well, let's get Brian involved then. Like, you know what I mean? If he knows all this stuff, let's get him, let's get him involved. Brian said he was willing to come in as a consultant and they kind of talked about it and they said they want him a little bit more involved with, with the ownership and with all these meetings and just kind of, you know what I mean? He, they want his voice to be heard a little bit more than just him being a general consultant. So they created the position for him. And I believe him when he says that, I think it makes, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, honest to God, I, I, uh, I, I wouldn't want him to be the guy making your moves and, you know, in control of all the day-to-day -day stuff. But I like the idea of him being there as a big-picture guy. I really do. I do think that uh, um, if, if nothing else, you can't deny Brian Burke being a guy that can resurrect a franchise <laughs> in some regards because uh, he's done it a couple times. He's come close to doing it a couple other times. And... Um, it's been a while since he's been involved with a Stanley Cup win, but I do think that he has at least some knowledge to give there. Sure, yeah. It'll be interesting, like I said. I don't really know what they can do. Well, what, what, I don't know if you gave a, an opinion. Like, what is the what is the, the, the move here for them? Like, this is a team that yeah, probably, like, I shouldn't say probably, but, like, they might not make the playoffs this year. Like they could rebound in Pittsburgh, like they've got the pieces to rebound, well, but you need a goalie fast, or you need one of those two guys to figure out how to stop a puck. And short of that, you know, you got to bring in a big change elsewhere in the lineup to to signify that we're 
you know, we, we can't stop the puck, so we got to put the puck in the net on the other end. So that's why I like the combination, though, is like I, th- I think of Brian Burke as a aggressive, compete now, let's win a Stanley Cup general manager, right? That's how I think of him. I, I have never really seen him rebuild. The rebuild that he did do in Toronto was half-assed, and other than that, everywhere else he's been. Well, he said he wouldn't now. do one in Calgary. Right. You know, I'm too old to do a rebuild. Sure. So I, I think that there's value in that because Pittsburgh's too old to do a rebuild too. But what do I think of Ron Hextall as a general manager? I think of him as a rebuilder. I think of him as a retooler. Like, he came in in, in, in Philadelphia. Like, I, I have the moves right up here. Like, going backward, like, he traded away Cooper Merity for a third-round pick. Which, how do you get a third-round pick for that fucking guy? So they got a third-round pick there. You know, they brought in the rights to Peter Morazic, rights to Jeff Dustin Tokarski. They needed the goalies. They got two first-round picks for Braden Shen. Two of them. One of them was Joel Farabee, who's probably better than Braden Shen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, eh, come on. He, he's pretty close, right? Um, you know, like trading away Nick Cousins and these guys pick prospect. Mark Strite for Phil Pilla and picks. Um, pick for pick at the draft. He got a pick and young player for the Cavalier and Shen. Uh, pick and young player for the contract of, of Pronger that he traded away. Like, first round pick and Radko Gudis and a third round pick for Braden Coburn is what he got. Like, I think of him as a guy who just brings in picks and brings in young assets. And, and if you really look at the moves he made, he never really traded away anyone that was better once he traded them, other than maybe Braden Shen, but they did fine there. Like, he didn't make a lot of moves in Philadelphia, but the moves he did make, I found he maximized the asset. You know what I mean? He got more than what it was probably worth. So all I'm saying here is I think there's a reasonable possibility that Ron Hextall does the paperclip thing here and trades an asset for something that's a little better or for a pick that he can use and turn around. I just, I sort maybe I'm giving him way too much faith, but I think Ron Hextall can find a way to make this work. And I think Brian Burke's the right guy in his ear to kind of be like, you know, let's attack and get this asset. Let's get this guy. Because they need something else. You're talking about a core of three guys. Mm-hmm. And I have I've never seen a team win the Stanley Cup that I would say their core was made up of three guys. Like, if you want to say that in L.A., that's fine. But that was an example of two years where they needed 20 guys to be on their game all the time. And if you want to say the core was three guys, that's fine. But But it wasn't. Like, I watched that team. It wasn't. Like, they needed to Foley. They needed they needed fucking Dwight King and Jordan Nolan to be on their game every night. Everyone needed to be on. They always were. And that's how they got it done, right? So, you're talking about a core of three guys and not a lot else in Pittsburgh. And they kind of need to find a way to make what they've got work and repurpose some of the assets that they've got. I think Hextall's a great guy to do that. Mm. And I think Brian Burke's a helpful ear. Or a helpful voice in his ear, I mean. Now, just two names real quick, because I don't want to spend too much longer talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins. But, um, like I said, a, a team that we're so used to year in and year out, being a contender, making the playoffs. It's Sidney Crosby. We've heard it before. Um, but but two guys that I'm really curious to get your opinion on uh, that aren't what you'd consider the, the core guys here moving forward. I was going to say, because we've talked about this team at length, but yeah. maybe not about the actual names that... 
Jake refer to in depth. Gensel and Brian Rust are two guys that don't get brought up a lot when you talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's Crosby, it's Malkin, yeah. it's the goaltenders, it's Latang, and then it's usually the bad. Like you usually you jump from that and you talk about Brandon Tanev and his contract or Cody CC and and what he's bringing sure. to the defense. But these are two guys like so far. Brian Russ, second on the team, he's tied for the lead league uh, for the sorry, but not the lead, the uh, the team lead in points with ten. Uh, Jake Gensel right behind him with nine. Uh, twenty eight years old, twenty six years old. They've been around for a couple of years. They both won a cup with the, the organization. Um, are are these guys perhaps in in some ways more valuable or just as valuable as the big three? given the age gap and maybe the direction of where the team's headed. Here's a problem is, um, would I move Gensel or Russ? No. Um, Cause I think those are the only two other, those are the only two other forwards uh, other than Aston Reese that I would ideally like to get out of this retooling and have them on the roster. Right. Problem is, is that I say that, for a reason, though, because <laughs> they are good, like they're good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it's not to say that I don't think other guys are good. I just think they have guys that are overused and overpaid, right? Like Kapanen makes too much money. He's useful. He makes too much money. Three two. Yeah. Is he is too, he too is he a top six forward? No, he's not a top six forward to me at all. No top six is he a top six forward? But you know, like is he is he useful? Yeah, but he makes too much money. Jason Zucker, 5.5, too much money. He's good. Three and a half, four million dollars good. He's not five and a half though. So it's, that's a lot more money tied up in a guy and playing too high in your lineup, I think. More than what you're getting out of him. Gensel makes six million dollars and I think he's worth more than that. Rust is making three and a half and I think he's worth more than that. Maybe not much more. The thing with Rust is Rust is Pascal Dupuis. He plays well with Sidney Crosby. And they have great chemistry together, and he does a lot of little things good. So would I trade either of them? No, but where are you bringing in the help from? Like, like, what are you moving? Like, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not getting a top six uh, defenseman for Mark Jankowski. You know what I mean? Uh, at some point, you have to move value to get value in return. And... Unfortunately, Gensel and Rust are the two best non-Crosby, Malkin, Latang names on the roster. Yeah. So, so do I trade them? No, but you're probably gonna have to, right? Like, like what you else? Probably are you have to move do? one of them. What, what else are you gonna yeah. do? And and um, you know, I I think reasonably speaking that they could probably get if they're bad the remainder of the year, they could get a pretty good return for Brian Rust because of his cap hit and the fact that he has one more year left on his deal. Yeah, I think you cash in on Brian uh, Rust. I, I think Gensel's pretty close to untouchable for me. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I only trade him if you have to. He's 26, and he's got three years left at $6 million. And he does a lot of things really well. He's, he, 40 goal he, score. He, other than Crosby, is probably the best skater on the team. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Kapanen, I guess. But Gensel does stuff. So, I don't know, he's still relatively young. Like, like he's shown us that he's pretty good even without Sidney Crosby. 
So you want him on the team in case you can move him around the lineup. Like you want a guy like that. He's he is your replacement for what Phil Kessel wasn't anymore once you traded him. And I think they have to try to hang on to him. But yeah, yeah. Uh, like you know, my my answer to this would be they should hang on to all their good players and bring in more good players. But hey, how are you gonna do that? If you you, know could, you could do that if you had like a first round pick to flip. But yeah, <laughs> sure. uh, yeah, Jake sure. Gensel. But on, honestly, like. If Blake Coleman got the Devils a first-round pick last year and Barkley Goudreau got the fucking Sharks' first-round pick last year, however that all worked out, Brian Russ gets you a pretty good fucking return if you retain half the salary for one more year. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You can flip that extra $1.75 million plus first-round pick into something pretty good. You, you cash so. in on him because he's putting up the, the points with Crosby and he's probably not going to do that anywhere else. Right. So do that now. Make that trade. And sell, sell, does, sell. Even if he does, like, how much better is he going to do once you trade him? Like, it goes back to what I was just saying about Hackstall and fucking and Brian Burke. They maximize the what you got out of him kind of thing while you still have him. What's Brian Russ going to do? He's gonna he's a point per game player with Sidney Crosby. He's going to get traded to to fucking New York and be above a point per game player with fucking Ryan Strom. What are you talking about? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to happen. So. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, they probably should trade those guys, but I, I wouldn't want to. Jake Gensel, 40 goals in 2018, 2019, on pace for more than that last year before the uh, injury that he sustained, and then, of course, the he lockout. Really good last year. Yeah, uh, scary good. Really good. Um, so, I, I don't know. Those are two guys that, like, I, I'm just so sick and tired of hearing about the Malcolm Crosby Latang thing because, you know, I know. We all know. They're there. They're Pittsburgh Penguins. They've won a few cups. I've seen the photos. So. It's just like let's maybe like talk about somebody, some of these other guys that because we talk about this team as if there's no other pieces. It's these three guys and then just a collection of peewee players that yeah. we found at this. Like no, they have some pieces, well, but look, like it's easy to sit here and say, "Here's what a team should do," right? Mm -hmm. Like we never know what the conversations are when you call it about another team. I'm just saying, if there's a deal to be had, and there's conversations out there. The first name that I, I'm hoping Brian Burke and Ron Hextall are talking about this weekend and making calls out to other teams is Jason Zucker. That's the first name I start with. Because yeah. I think he is the movable asset in your lineup that is... To some degree. That is not doing enough for you long-term to put you back in a position to win a Stanley Cup Yeah, at that deal. He's got a 10-team so no-trade list. I'd see if there's a team out there yeah. that is willing to take on most of that salary, if not all, and see if there's a way you can get them repurposed somewhere else for an asset that you can flip otherwise. Because mm. I'm not saying that team does or doesn't exist, but, I mean, I can only name four forwards on the Columbus Blue Jackets, so maybe they trade them there. Um, speaking of uh, making... Can we talk about another team other than the Penguins yeah, and the Blue I'm, Jackets? I'm, I'm right now, buddy. <laughs> We were talking about Brian Burke. We're talking about wingers. We're talking about uh, making trades. Uh, a lot of news about the Leafs making a oh, trade. Oh, boy. Uh, well, Jason Zucker. A mystery the, winger. The trade for for Casper Kapanen. Let's move on. A mystery winger is coming to Toronto. And part of the reason I thought I might bring up Brian Rust and Jake Gensel is that oh. Elliot Friedman's former, you know, fucking co-host or whatever you want to call Brian Burke. <laughs> um, oh, not a bad theory. 
It's not bad. Elliot, he claims he's got a name written down on a piece of paper, but he can't give it up. But the, the Leafs are going to acquire a top six winger uh, by the deadline to play with either Matthews and Marner or Tavares and Nylander. And who could be on this list? First of all, first of all, we have to decide what we classify as a top six winger because um, if we're talking about bringing a guy in, it means taking a guy out. So at what point is this trade happening? Is it now when the Leafs are banged up and they are missing some roster spots and they do need the help? Or are we talking about a couple months from now at the deadline when now we have to talk about taking someone out of the lineup or going back the other way in the trade perhaps? Because I think that that is a little more intriguing to me than who's coming in. It would be who's going out because you're not trading away Joe Thornton. You're not trading away Zach Hyman. You're not trading away Nick Robertson. So, you know. I mean, the, Le- the Leafs are a hard team to evaluate right right now because of the injuries. I mean, look, like I don't want, I don't want, I don't want this to turn into a podcast where we overanalyze the Leafs because we can do that any week, as we do. And apparently, that's all people hear on television anyway. But I think their third line is their fourth line, and I would take any of those players out of the lineup at any given time at this point. Like I'm sick of fucking watching Jimmy VC and Kerfoot and and Engvall. I, I well and, I, and, and again fine. Engvall because of the injuries, right? I'm so. fine if any of them get traded right now. Uh, I think their fourth line's better than their third line, and their fourth line should be playing way more than the third line because the fourth line or the third line is terrible. So who comes out of lineup? I don't know any of those three. Who who's getting traded the other way? Any of those three guys? I I, I don't care. Trey, like I don't care. Um, here, so here's here's my thought. You're you're talking about how do you define a top six winger, right? To me, that's basically anyone that's like a bona fide top nine on most teams because, you know, what I mean, it's more than likely going to be a complimentary guy. It's not going to be anyone that's better than Marner, Matthews, uh, Tavares, or or Nylander. I I think this was my this was my first thought when I gave it like ten minutes. Okay. I think Kerfoot's going out, which I realize is a big thought because they don't necessarily have someone who's taken that spot over. Yeah. And I I sort of thought, and maybe it's a hope, but I saw the name out there on Twitter too, that maybe it would be a slightly retained Victor Arvidsson coming back the other way. Um, you know, Arvidsson makes similar money to Kerfoot for a little bit longer, one one extra year. And I think he brings a lot more to the table than what they're getting out of Kerfoot. But I also look at the Predators', Predators center ice position, and that is a train wreck. Like, Kerfoot would be their probably second-line center there, even though I think he's, you know, a very average third-line center. Like, if you're including something else with it, I thought maybe that was a name, and there were a lot of people kind of throwing that name out there. Another name I thought of, but it's in the Leafs division, so I think it would be kind of a hard deal to make, but uh, I heard Nick Paul thrown out there a few times. I think Nick Paul would be an excellent fucking fit in their top six because uh, they need someone who's got some skill that works hard, and Mikhaev kind of does that, but I, you know, Mikhaev and Paul are good guys to kind of hop back and forth, but I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen either. Um, Arvidsson was kind of my first name, though, that I thought of. Wow. Well, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I've never been I've never been high on Arvidsson. I don't really have a reason for that. I don't watch a lot of National Predators hockey uh, by any means. He kind of uh, don't get me wrong. He's better than him, but uh, like he reminds me of Kapanen in a lot of the right ways. Like he's he's very quick. He's very tenacious, but he has more offensive instinct for sure. Hmm. Um, and Arvidsson is a guy that. I'm not going to deny hasn't been excellent the last 18 months in Nashville. Um, but I sort of chalk that up to the fact that uh, there's only two forwards, I would say, that are good on that team, and, and he's one of them. And the other guy's also a winger. Yeah. So I'm just trying to quickly look up a uh, who played for the Sioux Greyhounds because I'm just going to assume it's one of those 12 guys. Uh, yeah, I think they already got everyone. I think they got everybody. You know what? No, all of the there, guys. there was somebody that had, that was playing for Sault Ste. Marie that we didn't have. And I can't remember who it was, but the, the there was a name floated around there at one point. But um, yeah. Oh, damn. Nick Paul was a North Bay Battalion. God damn it. Mm. Well, that's out then. I can also assure you that Taylor Hall was not a member of the uh, Sioux Saint Marie Greyhounds at any point. Oh, so but you're thinking high, high end. No, no, because that's the thing. Like I think a lot of people took that in, in an interesting direction when I saw that online, and it was just you know, what do you define as a top six winger? Like to me, I read that as it's going to be a complimentary piece, right? I I think you I, have. I to... don't think there's anyone. Sorry, that they're bringing in within the confines of the salary cap that is going to make sense for the team that is any better than their sixth forward in their top six, right? Like, who are they bringing in that's better than Zach Hyman? Like, Brian Rust is one of, the, <laughs> one of the only names I can think of. What are the Leafs giving up to get Brian Rust? Like, you know, are, are they going to overpay to get him because they think he's going to fit that well with Tavares and, and Nylander? Like, maybe. I like yeah. Brian Rust a lot. I think he's really good. But Like, don't get me wrong. Like, this is a team, I said it last year, like, this is a team in a position where you almost kind of have to trade that first-round pick at this point, given the opportunity this season. I would. There's a clear path <laughs> to the final four this year. Trade that pick. Now, the the, the draft also might be a mess this year. Like, if, if any well, there team... There might not be a draft this if, year. If yeah. any team should take advantage of the unlimited fucking resources they have, it's maybe the Leafs in a year where... Scouting is going to be kind of difficult. Yeah. And they have an endless supply of scouts. Endless. Like, they'll be fine. Yeah. They don't need to fucking worry about, you know what I mean, making sure they get the right guy. They'll get the right guy. It'll be fine. It's 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 the cap, though. And and that is the big hurdle here. Um, you can you can trade a first and a second and put them together in a package. And you could probably get, you know, your choice of a top six winger. Just put that alone. But you got to make the money work. So you're right. Like, they probably are thinking about moving out an Alexander Kerfoot at three and a half million. Because beyond that, the only other guys that you could trade with any sort of wiggle room would be Pierre Engvall, who only makes 1.2, Ilya Mikhaev, who I don't think they're going to give up on this quickly, and then and then what? Justin Hall, who's been their best defenseman. That's that's the list. So if they're bringing in a guy that's a legitimate top six winger. It's either someone who's come into the league in the last two years and has a low cap hit, or it's someone that's been in the league for a while and they're going to have to move Kerfoot to make the fucking salaries work. Like that's where they're at. And and you watch the games as well as I do. You're going to miss Kerfoot, like probably not. 
I like I don't love this idea moving forward, but this is a rare year. <sighs> I'm fine with Travis Boyd playing third line center. Mm. Fuck it. You know what I mean? Or Spezza. I like Spezza as a winger way better, but like their depth is fine. You've got Thornton. I don't know. I feel like there's options there. I feel like I sound really worried right now. Am I worried? No. I sound a little worried. No. But I sound worried. For me, like I'm talking about Elon Mikhaev not as a trade value. Like I'm taking every ounce of value that he no, brings. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like it doesn't make sense for them to move the cap out for the sake of moving it out. You could you could just move out Engvall and get it. You know, eat that extra four hundred thousand. Engvall brings nothing. Sure. I'm, Sorry, Pierre, but I'm I'm just saying like if, if you. I'm I'm giving a list of the guys that you could that have literally any value above league minimum, right? So if the difference of making the trade is fifty thousand dollars and Engvall is not going to do it, well, okay, I got to move Makayev, regardless of what his value sure. is. No, no, I get know. that. So um, it it probably is Kerfoot. Now here is the wait. Makayev has one more year after this year. I yeah. thought he was an arbitration guy. No. Oh fuck. Well, yeah, maybe you move him. <laughs> Hard to say. I thought it was a one-year deal, like arbitration at one point six. Never mind. So I forgot. I forgot that's what they offered him, but then they settled. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh well, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe trade Makaya. Then I, I, yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, but I, I think Kerfoot's the name you're looking at, and rightfully so. But the added twist here that we didn't talk about with Pittsburgh, and we didn't talk about with Columbus, even though we spent two hours talking about Columbus, is what is this team's plan when it involves the fucking expansion draft come July. Because, yeah. like, going into this year, no, you got Muzzin, Riley, problem. and Brody on the back end. And you could have sat back and said, we're going to protect three defensemen, and we're going to protect seven forwards, whatever the number is. I think you have to talk about going four and four. And if you're going to go four and four, yeah. then you're losing somebody off that forward group. If you trade the only guy... Alex Kerfoot and bring something in. Well, now you're talking about a guy that might just get claimed in the expansion draft or a guy that's just going to walk in free agency. So Kerfoot almost has a bit of value in that sense where if they take Kerfoot off your hands, great. They took Kerfoot. That's the best forward we had to, to give up. They took him. Great. We're, we're free of three and a half million dollars. But if you trade Kerfoot now, and you bring someone in, you might lose him one way or another. So that, to me, is a, a deeper level of intrigue than who they're moving out. It's it's what are you bringing in, how long are they here for, because uh, short of making a backdoor deal with Seattle, I don't know what you do, because Justin Hall has played himself in a position where you got to keep him unless you're going to expose somebody else on that back end is it the guy that you literally just signed this past summer to a five-year deal probably not is it morgan riley who you've only got one year left at five million and might lose to free agency maybe but he's only 26 it's a tough call yeah i mean the problem is is that you know the problem with this discussion is what do the leafs do for the for the Seattle expansion draft. I mean, a lot of teams have um, problems when it comes to that kind of stuff, but the Leafs are an intriguing one. You know, if you ask me right now, who who's the last name you want to lose on that back end? And I sort of feel awkward saying it, 
but you, you can't lose Justin Hall. Like, like at $2 million a year and he's your best defenseman. Like, come on, spade's a spade. He, he's been their best defenseman this year and it's not even close, really. You can't lose him, but he's 29. He's a guy who was a forward until five years ago. He's a guy who sat in the press box two years ago for the entire fucking season. And is signed for another two years despite having very limited NHL experience. So, like, are you overrating him in a small sample size? Has he legitimately been that good? Yeah, he's been that fucking good. But, like, is it going to continue that way? Like, you can't, you can't lose him. But the intriguing thing when you look at the Leafs is that they have, uh, after this year, four defensemen signed, and all four of them have some sort of a no move. So... <laughs> they gave Justin Hall a no trade. I didn't realize modified that. no trade. That's so, kind of funny. Yeah, well, I'm kind of glad he has it right now. <laughs> well, no, like, for sure. I like just didn't because, realize I gave it to him because I like the I like the idea. I like the idea of going four and four when you put it that way. I, I like I, I don't know. Like going back to who that forward could be. Like I, I mean, I laughed when Elliot said it because it could be it could be anyone, and Elliot is very much a cheeky guy. He, he knows he's getting Leafs fucking wheels moving oh, on yeah. this. And he knows he's getting everybody going and getting everyone to, to, to look into it. And I love him for it. Um, but I guess if, I, if I'm making an early prediction, because that was the question you asked me, I, I'm going to guess they're going to get Victor Arvidsson. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess it's going to cost some Kerfoot and, and some sort of a young player. Not anybody super important because... Uh, I don't think Arvidsson has a ton of trade value at the moment, but he's been fine. Like he, you know, he had 28 points last year. It was a down year for him. The year before he had 48 and 58. He's got 7 and 15 this year, despite the fact that he doesn't really have a great selection of line mates. Yeah. So uh, I I think if, if he's available, yeah, that I like that deal a lot. Nashville retains, I can't do the math. If Nashville retains like... 400,000, then the salaries between him and Kerfoot are a wash. That's perfect for me. If they can pull that off somehow, where the the amount of the salaries basically work out to be the same thing moving forward for both teams, I'm perfect with that. Perfect. I'll pay an extra 400,000 for Arvidsson over Kerfoot. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know? No, that's fair. It should be worth noting that any trade that is uh, going to be made with the uh, team outside of the Canadian. Borders is going to take a couple weeks to get here. So yeah, Kyle, so fucking make it now. Like, let's go. This, let's probably, won't, this probably won't be a trade deadline day type of deal. It's going to be mint when they make this trade tomorrow, and then Arvidsson is eligible to play on February 28th, at which point Joe Thornton and Nick Robertson are fucking healthy again. Yeah. And then also you got Wayne Simmons coming back, and then now we have no centerman because mm-hmm. he traded Kerfoot. Well, I'd be a bad GM, but whatever. I like the trade tonight, so we're going to make it. There you go. Um, I don't really have a, a name in mind. Let's see. Who, who, who's who's playing for Detroit that might get traded in a top six role? I mean, i got to be honest Probably with you. Nobody. The contracts wouldn't make sense. You'd have to finagle some things, but, like, Anthony Mantha would be an all right fit. They don't seem to like him in Detroit anymore. I'd take Bobby Ryan. Um, yeah, I would have taken Bobby Ryan beforehand. Yeah, I, I, you know, we're gonna do it next week. Like I, I, we keep teasing it. We're gonna do that. I was wrong segment, and I, I'm very excited to eat my words on Wayne Simmons. I'm excited. A big fan, big fan. Miss him a lot. 
Okay, so we just spent way too long talking about the Leafs. So uh, for the four of you that are left, uh, we're going to get to a couple more things. Uh, before we uh, close things out with a fun little activity, uh, we got a trade that happened uh, literally, well, you're listening to it on Valentine's Day, but it happened like right before we recorded type of deal. Um, actually, a pair of trades, oddly enough. I don't know if this was a three-way trade that I'm not understanding properly, but um, the Carolina Hurricanes traded Ryan Dezingle to the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, the same Ryan Dezingle that used to play for the Ottawa Senators. Uh, in exchange for Cedric pa Paquette and the traveling circus that is Alex Galchenyuk. Um, I guess we'll talk about the trade itself in a second, but, like, fuck, how, how crazy is this starting to get for Alex Galchenyuk? I don't know what the three-way trade was well, you're referring to. A couple hours later, the I genuinely don't know. A couple hours later, the Hurricanes traded a seventh-round pick to the Blue Jackets for Gregory Hoffman. Well, I don't know who that is. Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. So how, how crazy, crazy is this for Gal Galchenyuk for so far? One, two, yeah. three, four, five, six teams in the last like two and a half years or something like that. No, uh, yeah, three seasons technically. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's bizarre. I, I hear he's a good guy that works really hard and, and wants to win, but I mean, maybe he's developed some sort of an attitude problem, or I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's very hard to make sense of a guy being that talented, getting so little uh, opportunity everywhere he goes, and then just getting dealt so quick, and it's just, uh, it's like he went overnight from being a, a thought of being a top six forward to thrown in Montreal's fourth line and then never working his way off of a fourth line long-term after that. It's just weird to think about because it's, it's you know, it's, it's getting weird at this point. I, I hope everything's all right for the dude because I uh, yeah. I was on record. I mean, you know, we talk about the I was wrong segment where we're going to limit it to this year. I was wrong about the Domi for Galchenyuk trade. I thought uh, Montreal lost that handedly. It turns out both teams lost it. 30 goals with the Habs at 21 years of age in 2016. Um, Hard to do. Yeah. Like, a little bit difficult to do. I, I, I think it's fair to probably say, like, he'll he'll never reach those heights again. But but even if he never did, you know, he was a 20-goal, 30-assist guy a couple years later uh, in his last year in Montreal. He was a 20-goal, 20 20-assist 20 guy in Arizona in 2019. Like, 35, 40-point guys don't just come along theoretically, right? Like, this is a guy that, he's an NHL player. Or maybe. <laughs> or maybe there's too many of them. Maybe he's the Leafs mystery winger, baby. Okay, that would only leave, what, Thirteen teams he hasn't played for yet, I guess, <laughs> after that. So, no, it's, it's not bad. I mean, but no, like, I mean, seriously. I'd be down, but... Like, he, he's, he had the, the year in 2020 where he played for uh, he was part of the Jason Zucker trade, so he didn't really live up to expectations in Pittsburgh. But he was, you know, he put up seven points in fourteen games for Minnesota. That's not terrible. It's not a point a game, but it's a point of every other game. Like he seems to be an NHL caliber player. He's only twenty six years old. Like as wild as as funny as it is to sometimes say, well, it's he's already twenty six. He's only twenty six in the in the sense that he's already played for six teams. Yeah. Right. So, I I just don't get it. Like you you figure Ottawa's making this trade for for something. There, there's got to be a 
uh, a motive here. The Hurricanes move out some cap room. I don't know. I didn't think the Hurricanes were a team that was tied up to the cap. Uh, I don't know. They've got less than a mil. So maybe this was just a, a cap dump for the Hurricanes to get Dezingle out of there. Um, Sens bring back a familiar face, a guy that's used to losing, uh, dealing with Eugene Milnick. But, you know, like I, I just don't really understand why they would move on from Galchenyuk in the big picture. Like this is a guy you should be betting on as the Ottawa Senators, a team that is not going to be competitive this year. Probably won't be competitive next year, but like a, a young guy, cheap, good value, you know, potentially to kind of cash in on, and they ship him off again after what eight games? Yeah, yeah. Elliot Friedman was on. Uh, well, I, I was going to say Friedman like the third host of this podcast tonight. We... <laughs> yeah. Well, if he if he says that, I believe it. So. Mm. Elliot Freeman was on Hockey Night in Canada was what I was going to say as if that was uh, a shock. Uh, he's always on Hockey Night in Canada. Um, but he was on Hockey Night in Canada. They were talking about the trade, and him and Chris Johnston were just kind of comparing notes sort of thing. And they both sort of feel that this was a move to make a move. And so the thought was that Carolina wanted Paquette in order to give up to single, and Galchenyuk was a throw-in. Galchenyuk is maybe not even going to play in Carolina. They're looking to move him again. So he might be in quarantine in Carolina, and then he'll have to get traded in quarantine somewhere else when he gets traded. I feel bad for the kid, but, I mean, you know, it's business. It's how it works. If, if that's what they got to do to make a move, you got to do it. So whatever. I mean, I, I wish Galchenyuk the best. There's, um, I think at this point it just feels like there's not a lot of people that are fans of the game that are in his corner more than I am. Like, I, I, I want him to do great because I think he's a lot of fun. Um, but the idea was that, you know, the Hurricanes were fine with moving on from Disingle to get Paquette because they want a Paquette. They want a little more grit. That's fair. They need grit. That That's a fine fit. Disingle wasn't doing anything for them. The Senators need uh, any help they can get in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and Dezingle, um, by all accounts, was fine living in Ottawa. So uh, they're like, hey, here's a guy who lived in Ottawa before and didn't hate it. Welcome back to Ottawa. And so they traded him back to Ottawa. Um, the thought is that Dezingle's house. The thought is that Dezingle's uh, arguably going to get traded again as well. So this sounds like it's going to be a uh, chariot of moves and that um just a non-stop basically baby basically you know how they plant a tree and you got to wait to watch it grow this trade tree is going to start growing real fucking quick pretty 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 soon so um just to kind of put a bow on the uh whole uh this trade is your trade this trade is my trade this gm made this trade um sam uh Sam land Bennett is your land. Sam Bennett this scored against tonight, so now it's it's gone from Bennett for Nylander to Bennett for uh, Mitch Marner, one for one. Um, Marner's been great this year. I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about the Leafs at length, but I've been on the podcast criticizing him. It's been awesome this year. Looks real good. Fucking awesome. Looks real sharp. Real good kid there. Uh, okay, awesome. couple uh, quick things that I want to spend too long talking about these because uh, I want to get to the fun. Fun stuff at the end. The Tuk Rask left the bench. Uh, <laughs> on, a, a la Tom Brady didn't know what down wow. it was. Uh, he thought they were down by a goal. and That was uh, cool. It was cool that they didn't get scored against, in a way. Yeah. You know? 
But that was that was like the the goalie leaving the bench the the net because he had to take a shit and and we kept the puck out of the net for ten minutes there. That that was the same level of hilarity that ensued. Got to be honest with you, man. There there is probably not a goalie in the league where it could have been a worse thing for them to have done than Tuka Rask in Boston. Because <laughs> Tuka Rask, I'm sure everyone who is not a Bruins fan... Is he the guy that left the bubble? Every, everyone who knows uh, Tuka Rask, that's not a Bruins fan. Uh, I think we can all agree, everyone listening to the podcast, top five goalie in the league. Or, sorry, top ten. You know, I think a lot of us can agree that he's the fifth or top five. But, like... Top 10, we can all agree on. There's no real debate there. He's top 10 goal in the league, right? Mm. Uh, Bruins fans think that he is the worst piece of shit to ever walk the fucking planet. Hug your goalies, kids. Uh, and, yeah, no no kidding. <laughs> what it's, what I would give for my team to have two Rask on the roster. It's 12 a.m. Do you know where your goalies are? It's uh, it's a mess for, mm. for him in Boston. They, do, they don't like him. And uh, God bless Don Sweeney because he just won't, he won't trade him. Here he's, well, he's good, so we're going to keep Why would you? You can yeah. get fucked. Mm. But Bruins fans hate him. And, uh, yeah, he didn't need any more heat on him, but he got it. So I pretty, thought it was funny, though. Pretty I think funny. Tuka Rask, a lovable character, uh, they didn't get scored on. So, for me, it's just a funny fucking thing we're going to look back on when he retires. Eight guys in the bench waving him off. Just go back. What are yeah. you doing? The amount of time it sort of took for anyone on the bench to start waving him back was my favorite thing, though. Yeah, because he because he was sort of casually skated, right? But like, where did they think he was going? Yeah, you know what I mean. And like, even even I like put it in my head. It's like sitting on that bench. It's like, but I've known he was skating to the bench. No, why would you be? How could you not know the score of the game? You know what to, I mean. To steal to steal the and joke he, from uh... he like I just sorry. I, it's just I like the idea. The way I saw it is I think Tuka Rask is so intense that he feels the bad and doesn't necessarily you know think about the good quite as much. I think he's just so intense that they scored a goal at some point in that game and he literally just forgot about it. You know what I mean? And I, I can relate to that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like that, There have been a lot of times where I've been coaching and we've been tied or winning and I thought we were losing. It never happens the opposite way where I think I think we're winning and we're actually losing. Like That never happens. But like I think we're losing all the time when I'm coaching and we're not. Not to steal the Jim Jeffries joke, but like the Boston bench was probably comprised of like forty percent of the bench thought there was a delayed penalty and they weren't really paying attention, and then like ten percent of the bench was like counting the rafters. I wonder how they got those fucking banners up there, and then like <laughs> the other sixty percent were the guys waving them back, realizing the mistake that was happening in real time. And I realize that that math does not add up, so please do not tweet us about how I went to one hundred ten percent instead of one hundred percent. I always play to 110%. There was 10% of the bench that was fucking furious. <laughs> and it's an easy explanation why. It's because he's foreign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Uh, the Red Deer Rebels are living the sweet life. Oh, as, man. Uh, they and other C uh, WHL Canadian teams will be living in the arenas uh, for the shortened 22-game, 24-game season. 24 game, something man. like that. All in a month. We're going to play 24 games in a month. What could go wrong? COVID's a myth or something. Yeah, they converted all the suites um, 
so that way they have like beds and and made sure the TPs and the bathrooms are working. And I mean, like, uh, for anyone if you've never been in a suite at a arena, it's literally just it's like a hotel room that overlooks the the rink. Like, it's not any different. It's just the same size, and you could fit a bed in there. And there's a sink and a bathroom. Like, it's just a it's just Is there a, a bathroom in the suites. Yeah, it's oh, I didn't know a, that. It's just a hotel room. So in in anyone that I've ever been in anyway, but but yeah, like you tell me that Fort William Gardens. The Pierce Floorcraft Suite has a washroom installed. Ooh, I I don't even think that one does, and it's mm. bigger than any of these suites <laughs> that these kids are staying in. But um, yeah, no. So so I mean, it's more or less a hotel room for these kids. So so I I think for the majority of them that this is going to be fucking awesome, and um, I know I personally uh i'm almost jealous of them like i think that's fucking sick like i i i think that's really cool there is a small part of me though and it's not to say that this is an avoidable thing like it's again it's very easy to make excuses but it's going to be a little bit tough to live at the rink if the season's not going so well and i think that there's a little bit of a problem to that kind of thing like i'm not going to want to overlook the rink uh when i'm hanging out in my room during the day and uh i'm not going to want to think about that kind of shit but you never actually really are going to be leaving this building very much and um if at all so i i think that that sucks and i i do feel for any of the guys on the team that maybe are going to have a, a bit bit of a difficult time with their mental health maybe living there um but i'd like to think it's going to be a positive thing like I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to take it in that direction, but that was kind of my first concern. Um, but ideally, they have a kick-ass season, and this is going to be like, this is going to be every kid's dream in a way, right? Like every kid wants to do that, live in a suite and play, you know what I mean, in the OHL, play in the NHL, that kind of thing. Like this, this is a dream come true in a way, but it it might not be everything they dreamed of. So I think it's sweet. I don't know if they, uh, I don't know if it's the perfect solution, but uh, I think it's cool. Anyway, yeah, for sure, it'll it'll be interesting. It's one Would of those. Would you want to do that? Oh, hands down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like it looks cool, right? Like it's maybe yeah. it'll. It might suck day two. I have no idea. Like it might be something I've never thought of. I I, about I took it one look at the photo of like the little setup they had there with the bed, ready to go, and everything like mm-hmm. that. And and I noticed like the jumbo charm in the middle of the ice. And the first thing that came to mind was like if I was shacked up in a in a room where. I was stuck with my buddies. Can we just fucking maybe play some video games on that jumbo truck oh, from shit, our from yeah. our and just lean That's over the balcony? Everyone can yell across to each other, but you can see what's going on the big screen. Yeah, pretty fun. Yeah, and I was even thinking like team movie night. And you just throw like super bad on the fucking on the jump truck or yeah. something. You yeah, yeah. Like, sitting in your rooms. Just it's not ideal. Nobody wants to do this, but no. I think you got to try to make the best of the situation and yeah. say. You know what? Jerome McGinley never had to do this with the Red Deer Rebels back in the day, and and I don't even know if he played for the Red Deer Rebels. I'm just kind of pulling shit. It doesn't ass. sound right. But... Oh, at least from Edmonton, and it's close. Um, but just say to yourselves, like those, like this isn't the norm, but Camera how cool is it? You know, like like let's let's try to have some fun with it, make the most of it. I don't really know how much interaction they're gonna have within themselves. Like, you know, can you mm-hmm. can you hang out with uh a guy or two other guys. I don't really know how Alberta's doing things out there. It would be really shitty if you were stuck in a room 
for a month by yourself and yeah okay you're playing hockey you get to see these guys there but like if if like your downtime is literally you're alone for a month in a room yeah that would kind of take that, a toll that, i think that but, was my thought right it's like you know they're making like it's like a hotel room but if you're taking away literally the natural light from the window of the hotel room and replacing it with the place where you just got shellacked a one last night like i realize that is a fucking small detail but that might be a huge detail yeah. to a kid who's like 16 and having a tough season that's all i'm saying is it mm -hmm. just it, it's it seems like it's fun as shit but it's one of those things where you know everyone was talking last year about the nhl guys being in the bubble and having a hard time with it and bitching about how like you know you're playing you're getting paid millions of dollars to do this stuff and yeah, like, just because you're getting millions of dollars doesn't take away problems. And just yeah. because you're playing in the WHL doesn't take away problems. Most of those guys are never going to play in the NHL. So there are other things to consider, right? And, uh, I hope it's fun for them. I think it looks cool as shit, and I, I wish them the best. I'll be cheering for them because I, I think it's really cool. Yeah. All right, it's time to talk goats. It's the goat podcast. You got your Billy goats. You got your long beard yeah. goats. You got your longhorned goats. You got your... This all stems from our discussion favorite cheeses, and mine was goat cheese. So oh, I'm going to talk about how to make the best goat cheese. Oh. Now, what you got to do, um, reasonable size bucket. Um, mm. Mm. How do you feel about goats? The animal? Yeah. I like goats. I think they're cool. Okay. I think go <laughs> Ghost, uh, goats seem fun. Billy, Billy Goat Gruff? Is it? Billy Goat Gruff. Billy Goat Gruff? Yeah, sure. I got it. Um, no, we're talking sports goats because that's mm -hmm. what we're all talking about this week. Uh, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl, which we didn't really talk about because that was last podcast about how we were going to watch Super Bowl. But Tom Brady won the Super Bowl, and this isn't a football podcast. So if you were expecting us to tell you that from the start, then I don't know. Maybe go find a, a football podcast to listen to. Um, but in any event... That's seven rings for Thomas, uh, and uh, and seven shots of avocado tequila for Thomas, <laughs> and uh, that's enough for him. Um, well, shots. I don't know about the the rings. He might have more rings ahead of him, but uh, it got the whole discussion going about Tom Brady being the greatest athlete of all time, not just the goat, the goat, if you will. Um, to which a lot of people around the world had some issues with that, given that football is a you know, two-country sport. And it's, it's hard to say that a guy that plays a sport for two countries is the greatest in the world of nations that don't play the sport. So it, it leads to an interesting conversation, one that we're not going to get into. Jeez, how dare they be outraged. Oh, rightfully so. Um, oh, yeah. It's not one that we're going to get into, but what we are going to do is we're going to take a selection of various different sports. You didn't want to get into that one? About you want if, to get into about if Tom Brady is the greatest athlete no, in the like, world? No, but do you want to get a, did, like, in the, well, like, what, what was your thought on, uh, well, we can both just agree. We don't need to pussyfoot around this. I don't okay. think Tom Brady's not the greatest athlete of all time. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> can't run. <laughs> the guy can't run. Yeah. There most sports involve running or moving at an incredibly fast speed. I think athletes... And he doesn't. Well, he he and, thinks super fast. Uh, Maybe the best thinker ever. Who knows? Uh, and and, and but, as our as our lists are going to explain, 
I don't think every athlete has to necessarily be athletic. Okay. Right? Like, just because Tom Brady can't run doesn't really remove him as being a great athlete. Now, in that discussion, the greatest of all time of greatest of all times. Yeah. Like, are you a person who has the, an opinion that there is an answer, or do you believe that that's an impossible conversation? That's what I'm curious about. Because I, I think it's impossible conversation to me. I think it, I, I think it, if you force me to come up with an answer, I'll let you know when I get to that sport who I think it would be. Yeah. But it's hard to say, you know, who's the greatest athlete of all time when most of the guys or most of the people on these lists uh, would only be elite at maybe two sports max and would drop off after that. I think you know? I have an answer. If if you had to tell me to pick one, like gun to my head, one of these guys as the greatest athlete in, in the in the world, I could probably give you an answer. I don't know how great I'd feel about it, mm-hmm. but you're right. Like it, it is so hard to kind of break down, and and even that's as why I enjoyed hearing the answers. To me, okay. Sorry to cut you off, but it's just like I I thought it was interesting hearing everyone's thoughts on it, and even though I disagreed with almost everyone, I, I thought it was interesting to hear certain perspectives on who they thought was the greatest athlete of all time kind of thing. But I, I just I think it's impossible to really come up with an answer that just doesn't, at the end of the day, come back to fame and worldwide impact. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, how is Tom Brady even in the conversation of worldwide impact? Like, he's not. The, the, US, the USA... Isn't yeah. the center of the universe. No. A lot of their news, they're going to get in other countries. You're going to hear more about what's going on in the USA and China than you would about what's going on in China if you live in the USA. Right? Like, I get the USA has their thumbprint on all this shit. But, like, most of the world has no idea who he is. You know? <laughs> I don't know about that. They know who fucking... You know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I think that he has a... A calling, just as I don't know soccer, I know who Messi is. Sure. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's the best soccer player. I don't yeah. watch the sport. I don't know what makes a good soccer player. I guess we'll... But I know names. We'll mention that right now is one sport notably missing here is soccer because yeah, it's the one most sport popular. that James yeah. and I don't, yeah, but <laughs> don't watch. The world's most popular sport we didn't bother to take a stab at. Played it for a long time. I don't... Sure. I never took interest I in got. I, I, have, um, I have FIFA 20. I do think it's Did that once. I do think it's funny that I used to make fun of people who uh I mean not that I was good at soccer, but just like when people look what would be like good at hockey and it's like who's your favorite hockey player? And it's like, Well I don't watch hockey, I just play it. You know what yeah. I mean? And I would make fun of them, but it's also like, well, I mean, what sport did I spend the most time playing other than like hockey and golf in my life? Well it's soccer. And it's the sport I've watched the least, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's not beat around the bush any longer. Let's just get right down to it. Brass Tacks. It's a hockey podcast. Let's get the hockey out of the way. The GOAT hockey male, because we're going to do a female as well. Yeah. Who's your uh, Who's your male hockey GOAT? Well, so I'm, I'm going to preface. It's a tough way to answer. I'm going to preface uh, all of my answers by saying that uh, Worldwide Impact had a, had a lot to do with, with what I picked. Mostly because I think marketability has a lot to do if we're talking about, you know, the sport itself. So, uh, I did go Wayne Gretzky. I think it's just hard to deny the guy that was the greatest goal scorer to ever play the game until the last 15 years. 
you know, he he dominated the sport at a time where, you know, it was easy to score goals, don't get me wrong, but, like, he dominated it to a level that we had never seen before. Um, we had never seen anything close to that, actually. And um, we're never going to probably see anything like that again. I mean, the most talented player to ever play in the National Hockey League is probably Connor McDavid. Um, but number two is probably Nathan McKinnon, and number three is Austin Matthews. And oh, four. and like everyone's in the league right now, right? Like, come on, come on, so, where, where, where you, oh, fuck, man, come on, you just screwed us so hard. The Leon Dreisaitl stands are gonna come out of the fucking woodwork and just beat our asses for you not mentioning him in the top one and a half percent. Good, they should. Um, I don't know what stand means, by the way. Mm-hmm. I know I used it correctly there. I don't know yeah. what it means. Anyway, go on. It's a song uh, by Eminem. It's got a fan who was obsessed with him. I know that. Stan. I honestly, honestly, honest to God, I think that's where the term Stan comes from, but I don't know that for sure. I think it's in reference to the song, but I don't know. Like, I'll... you're a, you're a Stan. You know what I mean? Because Stan was a big Eminem fan. You know? Wow. I kind of like the term a little better, a little better if I know that that's the term. I don't. I, don't I think. Know. I like that you uh, don't know it either. I feel. It's a, a long song. It's myself. like seven minutes long. Uh, but yeah, it's Wayne Gretzky for me. Uh, it is uh, also uh, Wayne Gretzky for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like is is he the best hockey player to ever play the sport? Uh, I think the Russians have a lot to say about that. Um, yeah, and like even Mary Lemieux might have been better. Like it's hard to say. It's just like yeah. Mary, it's Wayne got it done. Wayne did That's things. Thing, right? You can't take that away from him. He got it done. Mario, even even if you want to say Mario was better, he didn't win the championships, and mm-hmm. okay, he was hurt. So, but you know what I mean. Wayne Gretzky stayed healthy. Like you, you know, like you, you. Okay, cancer is a bitch, but you know what I mean. Like. Well, whatever. Wayne, it, Wayne did things. It doesn't need to take anything away from Mario to say I'm not, that he was great. I'm not too, trying right? to. Yeah, it, it, it's just like everyone talks about Mario Lemieux was hurt. Mario Lemieux. Was, okay, great. Like I think every hockey player is hurt all the time, <laughs> but but like yeah. Wayne just didn't get hurt and he found a way and he played the sport and he did so. Nobody's at, ever 100. Like, is anyone ever going to win the scoring title eight times in a row again? No. It's never going to happen again. Yeah, probably not. If, if Conrad David hasn't done it already, I, I know he hasn't played eight seasons, but you know what I mean? Like, like he didn't even He's win it. He's never going to do it. <laughs> he, he didn't even win it, like, three times in a row. So, I don't know. It, it, hey, apparently he wasn't even the best player on his team last year. Still isn't. Says, so. no, still isn't. Cool. Yeah, pick a lane. Hmm. You know what I mean? You can't, have the, you can't have both the best players in the world. It, that argument doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, my only regret... Uh, uh, and, and when we talk about Wayne Gretzky, is that Cal Dubas wasn't born ten years earlier to, to bring the Sault Ste. Marie great to the Trami place. So, all right, yeah, Wayne Gretzky, the goat, fucking goatski. Okay. <laughs> all right, uh, uh, hockey female. Uh, Haley Wickenheiser uh, for me. I just. Um... Uh, like I don't know if she necessarily had the greatest global impact on the game. Um. Or if maybe even had the greatest like impact within her country on the game, but I I do think that um, she dominated the game at that level, unlike anyone had really ever seen at a time where I think women's hockey really needed it. 
And I don't think women's hockey is even close to where it is today without her. And I'm not going to say that that's not true for Angela James or anyone else, but um, Haley Wickenheiser playing in, was it four Olympics or is it five? Five. Yeah, uh, playing in five <clears throat> Olympics and for at least four of them being the best player in the tournament. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good, right? Like, you know, she, um, there was a legit conversation uh, before the lockout, like when I was a kid in like 2003, 2004, could Haley Wickenheiser play in the NHL? And the answer was yes. <laughs> she probably could have, but she didn't. Um, but yeah, she was, uh, she was something else, man. And I, I, she's one of those people where I just genuinely, uh, feel bad for you if you never got to watch her in her prime because she was fucking out, outstanding man it was like matt sundin's size relatively speaking right uh and puck protection skills she was a treat and i think she's the greatest female hockey player that i've ever seen and uh when i think female hockey she's the name far and away that comes up for me yeah it, it, it's it's wickenheiser she was 15 when she won her first world championship uh, in 1994, she remained a part of Team Canada until 2017, 23 years later, um, when she retired at the age of, like, 37. And, like, I, I know 37's up there, like, but she probably could have hung on a few. She could have had the Joe Thornton treatment and just hung around for a few more years if she wanted to. Yeah. No, she could. You know, she probably, she, still she probably could have been at the Olympics in 2018 if she really wanted to. But, um... Four straight gold medals with Canada, uh, seven world championship golds. Uh, she played Division One men's hockey. Yeah. Um, in Finland, like the greatest female hockey player that I've ever seen. We just talked about Gretzky versus you know McDavid and McKinnon and Matthews and all that, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's someone playing right now that at the end of the day. Will will go down as being more talented, mm -hmm. more skilled than Haley Wickenheiser. But in terms of in terms of product, in terms of going out there, getting the job done at a consistent level year in and year out, uh, it's Haley Wickenheiser. Yeah, uh, fifty-one points in twenty-six games at the Olympics all time. Just gross. Just a monster. Just gross. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's get it out of the way because we kind of let off at the top of it with it. But uh, mm -hmm. American football. Ah, American football. Yeah. I need to bold the ones we have talked about so I know. Okay. American football, um, again, I, I kind of went with global impact. I also went with, um, like, at some point, statistics have to do some talking, right? Um, I, I went with Tom Brady, but there is a part of me that, like, if I were to give you my number two, it's almost 1A, 1B, because Tom Brady plays offense and there needs to be something spoken for the defensive side of the game. And there's never been a better defensive player than Lawrence Taylor. Like, there there hasn't been. He, he, he was fucked in an era where, like, you look at his defensive stats. You look at him now, and if you're not super up on the game, you're going to look at his stats and be like, yeah, they're pretty good, but are they good enough to make him the best football player of all time? And you need to think about the fact that uh, he did that in an era where uh, nobody was putting up those defensive stats. 
defensive uh, stats to that degree weren't a thing. It was just a, uh, you know, community contribution and uh, offenses weren't as good as they are now and so on and so forth. Lawrence Taylor was a fucking freak, though. And, um, yeah, so so for me, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, it's Tom Brady. If you're asking for, you know, um, the face of the game, it's Tom Brady. But if you're asking for, if you're a defensive player, who do you start with if you're looking to get into the game of football? Lawrence Taylor. Watch some highlights. Uh, I don't know the name. That's fine. There's... <laughs> when, when did he play? Lawrence Taylor played, uh, I'm going to look it up, I'm going to say 81 to 93. Okay, so old, old, older guy. And he played, I want to know if I got it right. Yeah, older guy. 81 to 93, I nailed it. Cool, cool. No, never heard of him. Um, LT. Just as, like, you, you mentioned, like. And the funniest thing, too, you say never heard of him. If I say LT, you probably would have thought Landini and Tomlinson. Remember him? You nope. don't remember him? Nope. Really, yeah? Don't know him okay. either. That's fair. Um, wow. <laughs> just, just as you say about like the whole offense defense thing with football, I think this applies to a lot of the team sports like like hockey. We didn't talk about goalies, you know, like Wayne Gretzky, so, Hellebuck, yeah. and Heiser. Not the best goalies. <laughs> well, I've never seen Haley in that. Okay, now we really need to cut her some slack. Now Wayne was probably bigger than most of the goalies that were playing during the eighties, so maybe he would have been better. But yeah, that's actually nuts. Yeah, think about guys like fucking. Darren Payne. My size. Um, okay, so football, I went Tom Brady because seven rings. Um, yeah. This was a guy that, uh, as someone that does not watch the sport except for, like, the Super Bowl and maybe, like, one other game a year, um, I was always told, oh, he's not good. He's a product of the environment. He was coached <laughs> to greatness. Bill Belichick is the hero. It's the Jimmy Johnson and his crew chief, who I don't know. See, that's the thing. I don't know the guy's the crew chief's name, but apparently Jimmy Johnson didn't win any championships without the the pit crew guy. So I like to picture his crew chief being Michael Clark Duncan from uh, <laughs> Talladega. Yeah. Don't you put that evil on us? You are not paralyzed. Yeah. Um, so, like, to, to for for someone that doesn't watch the the sport, I didn't have like an argument to say like, oh no, you're wrong. Um, but I always thought it was kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like, like here's a guy yeah. that you you've you've won six championships with, and uh, you're still telling me that it, it's the coach and the environment. Oh, yeah, whatever. I don't know. I don't watch the fucking game. And then he goes out at the age of 42 and wins another one with a different team and a different coach and a, like a totally different division, different conference, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And it's like, oh, so he's just the fucking greatest <laughs> football player that's ever played the sport. Yeah. Oh, okay, I get it. No, for yeah. sure. If this isn't a 28 year old that jumped ship and oh. did it. He's forty fucking three years old. He won did. more Super Bowls since he he's turned thirty six oh, than okay. before he turned thirty six. Neat. He's fucking insane. I, I know he's got more <laughs> than any other franchise, which is also insane. Yeah. So, yo, dude, we could we could do a podcast on just the craziest Tom Brady fucking stats. There is so much shit that would blow you away. It's far and away if you're talking offense for me. Like, there's no one that even enters the conversation. If you're not, if you're not on the Brady train at this point, I don't listen to you because it's just you. You're sick of watching him win because that's the only other explanation for going against him at this point, right? Um, like, like I'll say this: he goes to the Buccaneers and he goes to what was already a decent offense, and they did a good job putting their defense together. 
And he went to a guy that I genuinely think, other than Bill Belichick, might be the best coach on the planet in Bruce Arians. And I don't know why he was not uh, given more respect heading into, you know, everyone's decision to put that together in Tampa Bay. But Bruce Arians is fucking mint. Um, however, the best thing that Bruce Arians did was let Tom Brady do his thing. Like, he didn't try to be like, listen, this is my show, and you're going to do it my way. He literally said to Tom, well, no, like, if that's what you think is best, you have six Super Bowls, so that's fine. Like, you know, he was willing to embrace the fact of how good Brady is. And I respect, I love Bruce Arians. I have since day one. I genuinely didn't think this was going to work in Tampa Bay. But it's one of those things you look back on, and it's like, well, yeah, like, why wouldn't it have? Like, an amazing coach with an amazing uh, quarterback. The only thing for me was that I had watched Tom Brady's last two seasons in New England, and I thought he was cooked. But the reality was that the rest of the team was cooked beyond him being able to make anything of it. He went to Tampa Bay where they have a better setup for him, and they were good. So, you know. It was Tom Brady as cooked as I thought he was? No. Is he maybe not what he was a few years ago? Yeah. But, like, he's still pretty fucking good. Maybe uh, maybe Gronk is the right answer. Maybe we're all overthinking the Gronk train. That's that's the one that shocks me. That one fucked me up. But it's also, like, he is only, like, what, 31? You know what I mean? Like, sure. when, I, when I watched how bad he was his last year in New England, and he takes a year off, it's like, I guess if most of your problems are back-related, it's conceivable to say that you might be fine after a year of rest. And he was. Now, and I don't want to like get too down into football here, because again, sure. I, I don't watch the sports, so I, I just more have like questions than actual opinions. But like, I remember watching, I don't know if it was like the Super Bowl, or if it was like an all-star game. I was watching a game where they were having, it was the 100th anniversary of the sport and they brought all these living legends out on the field i remember i remember the spectacle very vividly they brought all these living guys out they had these big video tributes of the ones that had passed away before and they got to gronk and it was like here's gronk and like he's fresh off the super bowl win and he he comes out live and and it was like a couple months later that he said he was coming back and I couldn't get that image of him at this event out of my mind where I'm like, that guy's not going to be game ready in time for the, the fucking season. Like, he was half the size. Yeah. And for him to go out and do what he did this year. Yeah. Just blew me away. That was more impressive to me than the 43-year-old that was winning his seventh championship. Yeah. Because I kind of expected from Brady. From Gronk, yeah, it was, was like, that blew me away i i it was one of those things coming into the year i wasn't rooting against them but i just didn't see how it was going to work and it did and i from the minute it started working like the first few weeks i was watching it and i'm like fuck this is going to be a disaster and then it started working they started winning some games and i was like yeah you know what let's do this and i wasn't one of those new england fans like i was rooting for them uh, till the end, the the other night, like I I was all in on them winning. I, yeah. I was down, man. I wanted that to happen. I want them to have all that legacy because they they already won for us. They won six fuck. Well, Tom won six fucking times for us. Like why why am I gonna sit here and be bitter about it? Mm -hmm. Who the fuck else can say they've seen their team win six times? That's my age at any sport. Nobody. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'll fucking take it. Good for him. Go fucking. Win. 
Go to fucking New Orleans for next year and win there. I don't give a fuck. I have Good some. For you. I have some what you might call at home uh, in-laws um, that greatly do not like Tom Brady. More so because of the dude. Like his, his yeah, I don't off, love the dude. That's his fine. off-field stuff. I can separate, but yeah, that's But it, between that and watching him win so much, they were just kind of like, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't like him. I don't want to see him win kind of thing. Sure. And I'm sitting there going like, look, I don't have a fucking opinion, but how cool would it be to watch Austin Matthews win a Stanley Cup at 40? Yeah, okay. Then fuck it. Let's go Tom Brady. Like, yeah. uh, you know, for me, for an athlete perspective, fucking have your day. Like, let's let's go. Let's let's Look, Patty Mahomes is going to have his. So... Go get yours, Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. he's going to have one. Uh, baseball. Greatest baseball player of all time is a tough one because it, it again, uh, couples in the, the Offense, argument. defense. Yeah. Pitching, swinging. Um, I didn't pick a pitcher initially. I, I could if, if that's where we want to go with it. Uh, for hitter, though, I, I just I can't understand an argument against Hank Aaron. Okay. I just I just don't get it. He, he he's like a fucking 310 hitter with like a 380 on base percentage or something like that. Who is one of the leading all-time fucking home run hitters. And it was the whole it was the whole argument I always heard my whole life. It was like, well, he, he would just hit 20 home runs a year for like 28 years. No, he didn't. He hit 40 for 20 years. He was fucking unbelievable. Hit the ball out of the park all the time. Led the league in RBIs like five or six fucking times. He's the best hitter that's ever played the game because he didn't stop. It was every single year he's the best hitter. And all the time in baseball you see this guy who comes in and hits 60 home runs and cool. And then he's out of the league in like two and a half years, and you know, or whatever. You know what I mean? He's an average hitter after a while. It's so common in baseball for the high end of your talent to just blow up. And then to never fucking hear from this guy, you know what I mean, as an elite player ever again, but they'll play 12 years in the league. Hank Aaron was a legitimate, like, up there for one of the best hitters in the league for a very long time, was a fine defender, and there we go. You know what I mean? And and there's literally, like, literally a fucking award named after him yeah. for who's the best hitter in the league. Hank Aaron, man, he's the best fucking hitter that has ever played the game. Because he couldn't stop. It's a game where you learn your opponent's habits and no one could figure out his. He just fucking kept hitting the ball. Um, and the problem, sorry, I yeah. just need to add one last thing. I almost went with Babe Ruth. But I have a problem including people that played in a league that didn't include the best players in the world at the time. I can't include anyone that played basically prior to Jackie Robinson playing the game. And even once Jackie Robinson played, there's probably like a five to ten year window there where it's a little bit of a gray area. Yeah, Hank Aaron uh, gets a lot of respect for me there. A travesty that he only won one MVP. If you look at the numbers, like Hank Aaron, I don't I don't I can't I don't know the history of the sport like I do with hockey to the level to say that what he was doing at the time wasn't being rivaled. Like, I don't know if 40 home runs and 125 RBIs in 1960 was astronomical in the sense that, like, Wayne Gretzky was doing in the 80s for hockey. Because Those Pink, numbers are relatively the same 
as what they are now. Sure. Right? Okay. Like you've got to think about the records, right? Like he even still, like you look at his home runs, he led the league only four times. Yeah. But they were all forty four okay. home run years. Yeah. He led the league in RBI four times, but they were all one thirty. Mm-hmm. Like those numbers haven't really changed much, right? So he did both in a season three times, I think, by the looks of it here. And only the one MVP. Led season. the league? Yeah. Four four different occasions for both home run and RBI. But in the same season, sorry. Yeah, three, three times. Uh, led the league in batting average twice. Never yep. on base percentage, which is kind of surprising. Mm. The the thing for me with Hank Aaron is he had uh, top twenty MVP voting nineteen of his twenty three years in the league. Very fair. You know, he what I mean? won World Series too. Hey, that's yeah, yeah. Wow. Which you can't fault a guy for a team sport. I went Babe Ruth, and I know exactly what you mean when you say it's hard to credit the sport. Prior to a certain time, uh, you know, the Jackie Robinson era when we started bringing in uh, black players. Um, but there's there's one thing with Babe Ruth that kind of separates him from even today's era of baseball. Ah, uh, the candy, yes. Yeah, the candy. No one had a candy as good. The fact that this guy would take the ball every five games and pitch at a level of pitching that kept him in, you know, the Cy Young Trophy race year in and year out. You know, he won an ERA title as a pitcher. You don't do that. You didn't do it then. You didn't do it in the 70s. You don't do it now. We never got to a level of athlete that played both sides of the ball as well as Babe Ruth did. I don't know why he did it. It's kind of weird. Like, it's it's definitely an asterisk. Like, we all heard about Shohei Otani coming in and, and playing DH every, you know, whenever he wasn't pitching and all that. But there's such a demand on pitchers today where, you know, I, I remember the, the, the Roy Halladay days where, you know, Roy Halladay would go out there and he'd pitch nine innings and he'd throw 120 fucking pitches. And today it's like, oh, yeah, he's getting close to 75 pitches. Might want to take him out of the game because he's in the fifth inning. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a different way the game is played. But at no point since when, – when did this guy stop playing? 1935. No point since then have we ever seen a guy go out there, hit the ball as well as he did, and pitch as well as he did. Yeah. Just to me, that is an athlete accomplishment, um, sure. and it makes him special in, in, in a very unique way that you don't find in football or basketball or hockey. You know, like you don't have a guy that played net once in a while and then went out there the next night and put up five goals, right? So, um, I've coached a few, but yeah, I've never seen yeah, any national hockey. I, I definitely, I, I do, I do want to get up there though. Once again, real quick, uh, I do give a lot of credence to what you said about uh, how the the sport didn't include a lot of the best players. I just don't know how many of those players were pitching and hitting at the same time as well, right? You know, whether they were there or not, in the grand scheme of things, sure. I don't know how much that changes what Babe Ruth did. So. Sure. Um, uh, my, my, well, my pitcher answer would, oh, be, yeah. would be Randy Johnson. Um, <laughs> the big bird. Yeah. Like, you know, the thing with Randy Johnson, and I never used to think this until I actually started looking into it years ago. 
there's nothing he didn't do. He was fucking insane. And if you don't know who Randy Johnson is, I'm not going to ramble on about him. You just read his Wikipedia page if you have, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes one day to read all the shit mm. that this guy did that was amazing. Uh, yeah, of course, you, if you don't watch baseball, yeah, he's the dude who threw a ball at a bird by accident one time and killed a bird. Um, but like... <laughs> Which should have been physically impossible but, to do. But also, he was insane. He, did he throw a perfect game? Yes. Did he win a World Series? Yes. Uh, he won three games in the same World Series one year. Uh, Triple Crown winner, Cy Young winner, five fucking times. Unbelievable pitcher. And, uh, yeah, Randy Johnson, to me, is both the answer for who's the most talented and who's got the best resume for the pitcher, who's got the greatest impact on the game as a pitcher. Randy Johnson didn't have that celebrity following, you know what I mean? Like a Kershaw or, um, you know, like, I guess, like a Greg Maddox or whoever would have, but... Um, he's got the numbers to support it, so Randy Johnson's my guy. Um, only because I've never thought to look it up. What's a triple crown in pitching? Is it wins, ERA, and strikeouts? Got it. Okay, cool. Perfect. Um, what fucking sports next here? Uh, basketball. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it's Michael Jordan. Uh, this, this is a bit of a tough one, though, because... I I do sort of think, I used to more than I do now, uh, think that LeBron is probably the most talented player to play the game. Hmm. And I don't know that I agree with it quite as much anymore. Um, the thing with Michael Jordan is, like LeBron, Michael Jordan often didn't get along with his teammates. Uh, but Michael Jordan found a way to fucking win. <laughs> LeBron kind of has, like, I think there's a lot more, uh, oh, LeBron won that championship. Okay, how did he win it? And it's not quite as organic of a story. It's like, well, they were able to give up the right players to get Anthony Davis. And, oh, yeah, by the way, Anthony Davis didn't want to play anywhere else. So, okay, so you're telling me that the best player in the world, other than LeBron, would only play for the team LeBron was on. Yeah, that that's... That. Seems like it probably was a uh, fucking manufactured championship to some degree. Um, yeah, Michael Jordan just played for the Bulls, man, and fucking, you know, uh, I'm sure well, he had, played for Washington. Had some say for who was going to play with him, but for the most part, you know, he just kind of made it work. And um, the thing for me, though, with Michael Jordan that puts him far and away is that uh, he would be my pick if you're asking me who is the greatest athlete worldwide, who's the goat of all goats. It's probably Michael Jordan because um, he is the only athlete that's going to come up tonight where uh, I think everyone in the world knows who he is. And I don't think that's the case for anyone else that is going to come up tonight. Mm -hmm. So um, Michael Jordan would be my guy. Because I think he was the best at a sport that is very accessible to everyone. And, um, yeah, he's got his own shoes. Like, he, he, he became famous at a level that an athlete never had before. And uh, athletes will in the future. But 
he he did something that I don't think anyone had ever done. And uh, yeah, Michael Jordan. I like that uh, we're spending a whole segment on the goats, uh, only for people to realize that we have the same answers except for Babe Ruth and uh, Hank Aaron. Uh, I went Michael Jordan as well. Uh, two things I'd like to add about Jordan. Um, one, I don't think LeBron gets into the conversation until he can get a Defensive Player of the Year award. To me, the fact that Jordan has a Defensive Player of the Year award, just whether or not he was a defensive guy his whole career, or if it was just that one season, it was just, he did it to the level where he was the guy, and it was the other side of the ball. So there, there's a very interesting added layer of, of skill there that I don't think gets talked a lot about when you talk, like everyone talks about the six rings and the MVPs and all this is okay. The guy, you know, best player on the defensive side of the board. So that's important to me. Uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up because I just uh, read it now and I don't understand. And I'm a little curious if maybe you have an answer that I don't see here anywhere. Um, any idea why Michael Jordan is number 23 is retired by the Miami heat. Mm. In honor of him? Yeah. I do think there was a thing, um, if I remember correctly, where some people wanted the number 23 retired league-wide. And Adam, maybe it wasn't Adam Silver, but the commissioner was against it. Like, it might have been David Stern. Mm. Um, But I could be wrong. I don't know. That might just be a manufactured memory. But uh, I think that's why. I think they just did it to honor him. Okay, but I it's I don't it just know. all it I says. I don't know the answer. All it says here is the Miami Heat retired the number in two thousand three, even though Jordan never played for the team. Okay, yeah. Well, good for the Miami Heat. Cool. Um, it should be retired league wide. I think it's weird that other guys wear it. But. And then Kobe never gets to wear it. No, not Kobe. Um, LeBron. LeBron's wearing it. In, in LA. Yeah, I don't. I don't really like that. But he's had. It's a, it's a number. It's like his fifth number. So. Let's just let's just not retire numbers ever again. Let's just let's just do that. Yeah, we could also do that. Yeah. Like it's like kind of pick a lane. It's just kind of let's weird. Just take all the numbers back down from the rafters. Uh, golf, my good man. Oh, it's Tiger. Woods. We're we're onto the individual sports, if you can't tell. Yeah, it's it's Tiger Woods. I don't, I don't have a long conversation yeah, with that. It's Tiger, like Brady, not a cool dude all the time, but uh, uh, Tiger's the only guy that rivals Jordan for me. He enters the conversation of the greatest athlete of all mm. time for me. Okay. Uh, it's Jordan, and then it's Tiger Woods, and then it's nobody else. I, I, I got a guy at one, and then I've got Jordan and Tiger fighting for two. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, no, uh, but Tiger's a guy for golf. He it's it's re- revolutionized things in a way. Come on. Um, it's a white man's sport, and then this 19-year-old punk shows up, and he's putting putting yeah. balls in holes from deep. Did you watch it's the documentary yet? sexual sport. Uh, no, I have not. I, I'm just new to Crave. It's it's on my little list of things I want to get to. Uh, haven't got there it's yet. It's good. Yeah? It's honest, because it didn't... Did it uh, do justice? Was it enough? Well, it, it's not the last dance. If you're going in expecting that, it's uh, the, kind of the opposite. It it, it it tears Tiger down, for sure. Um, I didn't sink the hole in one, and I took that personally. Well, I mean, it does kind of it do that a little bit. Yeah, you gotta watch it actually. I don't know. It's I, interesting. Like, it it definitely depicts him to. being the the ferocious fucking you know attacker he was on the golf course, I guess. But he uh, surgeon. It doesn't. 
it doesn't necessarily try to make him to be the greatest person ever at all. But. Fair enough. Uh, tennis male. Uh, uh, only because we, I don't I know anything about uh, female golf players except for Brooke Henderson, who I just assume is the best because she's Canadian and that's all I hear about. So Yeah. I, I, Sorry. Yeah. Roger. Can't miss Swiss. Yeah. We are now six or seven, sir. Oh, you're, you're Raj, too? Yeah. Yeah, I never, um, got to be honest with you, I, uh, a tennis is another sport. I uh, played as a kid before I ever watched it. Uh, I would never have watched more than two minutes of it if it were not for Roger Federer and just... Federer, like, I watched Federer the right night one time where the same way that I watched Tom Brady the right night. Like, I would never would have got into football if I didn't turn on the right Tom Brady game at the right time and it made me a Tom Brady fan. Same thing with Roger Federer. Like, I don't remember what it was. I, it was 2010, 2011. Like, I just finished high school. I turned on, watched a fucking full weekend of tennis. Roger Federer won it. And he was fucking unbelievable the whole weekend. I'm like, this guy's fun to watch. And then he does his interviews after all the fucking matches. And he's mint. And I'm like, this is my guy. I'm going to cheer for this guy. And I didn't know at the time uh, that he was uh, maybe the best tennis player in the world at the time. And, and then I just watched him win a bunch. And now looking back on it, it's like no one else enters that conversation quite yet. That's not quite a, like it's Tiger and no one else, or it's a Jordan and no one else. There, there are other names in tennis, but yeah. Roger's the guy. I'll, I'll say with tennis, it's the male category. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say it's very much a situation where I, I feel that there are the four greatest tennis players in the world that has ever seen. All played together at the same time, and Roger yeah. just happened to be a little bit better than. Like I think Nadal that speaks to the greatness, right? Yeah, I think yeah. Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray are two, three, four. But Federer was just a little bit. Djokovic and, is an interesting one, dude. and but yeah, for for sure Nadal anyway. Yeah, and and sometimes he lost to some of those guys, right? Like those guys had their championships. Some of them get, came against Federer, but nine times out of ten. Federer's winning that matchup. So um, I think it's Federer. I think that you, like if you want to make a conversation for a few of those guys, I'm I'm all ears. I don't watch enough of the sport to have you know a, a strong argument. It's just from what I'm seeing from the kind of the outside looking in there. So uh, tennis female is this uh, a slam dunk? <laughs> is there a case made for anyone that maybe wasn't pregnant when they won a major championship? Yeah, I would love to have a hipster pick here for you, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's Serena. Um, she just has uh, every conceivable stat that you would want to look at. She just dominates uh, in every sort of way you want to look at it. Uh, I mean, like I guess if you if you want some sort of a runner up, and I still don't think it's even uh, close, but I guess uh, Martina Navratilova would be uh, maybe number two, but I never watched her play. It's just like, you know, based on reputation and the names that seem to come up when they're talking about Serena, you know what I mean? She's got this record, who's number two, and then it's like someone who had set the record to become number two, and then who's number three? It's always like Martina Navratilova. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, I had a, I had a couple beers tonight. Um, yeah, so it, it's Serena, though. It's it's far and away. It's She's insane. Yeah, so you know, it clearly it's Bianca Andreescu because this is a Canadian podcast. Um, oh yeah, I forgot to mention my male is actually uh, Milos. So come on, 
Milos isn't even the best KD. What are you, what are you talking about there, bud? Um, uh, Milos, not looking too good lately. Yeah. He, he's aged quite a bit. Uh, it, it's Serena for sure. Doesn't even really come close. Although I, I will say this, I don't like. I, I think Serena's an open and close case. So I'm not going to defend the pick at all. There's no one in the world that can convince me that she's not. So I'm not going to defend yeah, it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'm not going to defend it, but I am going to say that I think it's really, really interesting how tennis kind of went from, oh, Venus is the greatest female tennis player ever and, and you know, wins, wins the Olympics. She's got the Olympic golds, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's Venus. And then for a couple years there, it was side by side. Yeah. And it was always, oh, yeah, who's going to win? And it, for, for I don't know if it was just my, like, distorted childhood memory or, or what, but it was like every year it was Venus and Serena in the finals of every tournament for, like, no, you're, 12 years. Right, yeah. Um, and then Serena took over. I don't know if that's an age thing. I don't know. I don't know if, if maybe Venus was the better tennis player in their prime, but just kind of fell short in certain categories. But the it's Serena one. You can make an argument. It's, it's Venus at, at that two. But I mean, it comes down to nothing else other than genes in a lot of cases for athletes where the body just breaks down a little bit yeah. quick at the wrong time. The weird thing, though, about that is Serena and Venus have the same genes. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, Venus might have just broke down at the wrong time and Serena didn't, and maybe it comes down to diet or something it's, simple. It's, I don't know. But regardless, they're far and away from each other looking at it now. Yeah. And you're right, though. Venus, uh, you're right. When I was a kid, Venus was the superior player. Yeah. And it's, it's always funny to me because I always consider Venus to being, like, three, four, five years older than Serena. There, there's a year apart. Yeah. Like, it always boggles my mind when I re remember that, like, oh, shit. Like, they're actually pretty close in age. It's not like one just fell apart because of, you know, the, the body getting old. It, it's just, no, they're, you know, Serena's just fucking better all the way around. So, uh, that's that. Um... Okay, kind of an open-ended category here. Olympic, we we separated this. We went male and female again. Olympic, Olympic, whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit if it's the 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 kayak races or the ski, the one where you ski and then you shoot and you ski some more. Right. I don't care what sport you're picking. Olympic male athlete. Who you got? I think that my answer is a little bit different because I don't live in the United States. Sure. And so my answer is Usain Bolt. Sure. Um, I think it's very fair to say Michael Phelps, though. Like, I think Michael Phelps has the um, the resume. Like, he, he's won more gold medals, and it's not even close, mm -hmm. than anyone who's ever competed in the Olympics. My thing, though, is that, you know, it's not that he didn't dominate either. Like, Michael Phelps dominated a lot of events. Usain Bolt ran like a human being that none of us had ever seen run before. <laughs> like no one, no one had ever seen someone just run forty yards neck and neck with another person, and then seemingly be over the finish line before anyone's reached the sixty-yard line. It was like watching a video game. It was like watching edited video. 
it it legitimately didn't look real. And so I don't know if the resume is there, but when anyone asks you who's the fastest person on earth, it's not a question that it's Usain Bolt. Like, no, you don't fucking think about it. Yeah. So, you know, what's easier to teach? A fucking sprinting competition or, you know, swimming? Well, a sprinting competition. But to get that good at it to a level where he was just so clearly dominant. And then toward the end, like, he wasn't. Like, he, you know, his last Olympic, it wasn't the same. But in his prime, he he was the conversation of that Olympic. He was the conversation of the world at the time. And as athletes continue to get bigger and stronger and faster, that was something like I have never seen before in my life. So the question is, who do I think is the greatest Olympic athlete uh, of a male? Never seen anything like you've seen Bolt in my entire life. And I hope I never do again in a way <laughs> because uh, it was that was so fun to watch. But I'm going to watch the Olympics every year and I'm going to watch fucking, you know, the 100 meter dash because I want to see if someone can do and freak me out the way Usain Bolt did. Yeah, it's Usain Bolt and this No way, really. This is the I'm guy surprised on that. This is the guy that I think for me has the title of greatest athlete of all time. Like the goat of the goats on this list. He broke a record running 9.58 seconds for the 100 meter dash which had previously been concluded to be physically impossible to do by the human by the human body this isn't um a training regimen outcome this isn't a how many home runs could mark mcguire hit if he was juiced all season long and it was legal this was by scientific evidence the body cannot move this fast drugged or not to to run a 9.6 9.6 is the human perfection mark and this guy ran a 9.58 he holds 19 guinness world records he probably should have more olympic medals than he does but he started a little later than some people do he wasn't as interested in running at a younger age because he was an athlete in different sports that didn't pan out he became a soccer player post-olympic career strictly because he could run faster than anybody else in the pitch he couldn't kick a fucking ball to save his life he just ran faster than everybody else so he was a weapon no other athlete that we've talked about tonight could you pick up and put in a professional sport of a different sport than they played and give them a contract to play that sport because of one of their individual skills. I think you've seen both the greatest athlete that's ever lived. <laughs> you're, you're not picking up Michael Jordan to run up and down a soccer field. <sighs> Tom Brady can't run. We already talked about that. You, you yeah. can't put that guy on skates. He's not playing hockey. Yeah. I don't think any of these other guys can play a different sport than than what they've mastered in. So, yeah. That's where I come down. That's fair. Usain Bolt. Uh, Olympic female. Ah, uh, Clara Hughes for mm. me. Uh, yeah, let's go back to Canada here a little bit, baby, and give our nation a little bit of credit. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Clara Hughes, Clara Hughes is one of, I believe, five people uh, in the history of planet Earth to medal in both the uh, summer and winter Olympics. 
And Clara Hughes did it multiple times for each sport that she was involved in. She is a bronze medalist uh, in women's cycling at the Summer Olympics. And she is a multi-medalist at, of course, speed skating at the Winter Olympics. She's a freak. <laughs> like, Clara Hughes is a fucking freak, man. And um, again... I think there's something to be said for uh, who these people are away from their sport. And Clara Hughes is um, one of the most important Canadian athletes of all time in just her ability to be honest um, with, I think, her mental health and things like that. I, I feel like she's contributed a lot in that regard. Watching her do speed skating at the winter olympics got me interested in watching speed skating all the time and uh when the olympics are on i try not to miss speed skating at all but it was because clara hughes was in a race one day that i decided to watch speed skating at the olympics and uh i thoroughly enjoyed what she did because i i think she ended up meddling that year so yeah uh clara hughes for me just because of her contribution to both sides of the Olympics. Um, I I will rightfully give it up if someone wants to withdraw my Canadian citizenship card or whatever. Um, I always forget that Clara Hughes is a summer athlete. I I strictly think of her as being a speed skater. I'll give you a little bit of credit here. I don't watch the Summer Olympics other than. Uh... Clary, Clary, <laughs> okay, pretty much, and 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 the the running events, but that's basically all I watch. I don't really watch the Summer Olympics. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't uh, I can't say the same. I won't use that as an excuse for myself. Okay, well you're an idiot. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Uh, I went Simone Biles. Sure. The only female athlete to win four Olympic gold medals in the same Olympics. Um, she is. 23 years old so perhaps greatest of all time is a bit premature but if your first olympic games is to go out there and win five medals four of them are gold and the rest of your career is ahead of you okay <laughs> i'm on board this this is an athlete that took a hiatus in 2017 you know alone 2017 was uh, she was 19 years old she took a hiatus what was I doing at 19? I don't even know. Someone answer that. Someone tweet at the podcast and tell me what I was doing at 19 because it wasn't worth writing a Wikipedia segment about. Okay. I think Clara Hughes is probably the right answer. I went Simone Biles because I, I think she's the GOAT in in this moment. But sure. in, in the larger picture, I, I may have I may have fucked up. Yeah, well, you did fine. Okay. Um, I want to add too because my favorite Clara Hughes fact, uh, fact, my favorite Clara Hughes fact that I forgot to mention was that uh, she bronze medaled at the 2010 uh, Olympic in speed skating hmm. at the age of 38 years old. So, all right, I don't know what I was doing at 19. I don't I, know what I'm going to be doing at 38, I, uh, but it won't be anything close. A lot of respect. For yeah. Clara Hughes. All right, we got two left. Uh, they have nothing to do with what the body uh, does um, mm, well. in a in a movement fashion. It's mm. got more to do with the mental side of things. 
There's a lot of physical endurance to be a Formula One driver, for sure. Is there really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well. It's not easy to steer that car when it's going to 200 miles an hour. It's just a slight turn of the wrist. It's, yeah. Yeah. It looks easy on yeah. TV. That Fuck, that is a tiring fucking job. You have to be in immaculate shape to drive one of those things. All right, F1. Oh, it's Michael Schumacher, for sure. Um... Fuck, uh, he is the only guy on this list, I think, that I will openly say, I fucking hated him as a kid. Hey, hated him, um, mostly because I was cheering for other drivers, uh, because I was an idiot, and thought, maybe Michael Schumacher won't win this weekend, and he won, well, <laughs> he won every weekend, pretty much, like, he... It would be, like, I would watch every single Formula One race with my dad for, there was probably, like, a six or seven year window there. And at the time, there was maybe 17 or 18 Formula One races, and Michael Schumacher would win 13 of them. And uh, probably 11 of them, it wasn't even fucking close. And the other two, it would be like he got in an accident on lap four and was last, and then somehow just drove through the entire field over the course of an hour. And won the race by, like, 10 seconds. And I was like, how the fuck that happened? Um, insanely, insanely dominant. I think that the case is probably there now that uh, Lewis Hamilton is is there. Well, that's the guy this year. Like, sorry, this this generation where it's like, is anyone else going to win? I, I think he's there. Um, the, the thing more so back in the day, it's a little different now. The cars are a little bit more separated i think now i think there's a bigger degree of separation between the cars than there was 15 years ago uh 20 years ago kind of thing and there was a lot more human error there was a lot more you know mechanic error kind of thing back then um the fact that ferrari was so dominant back then was sort of impressive whereas now you know not a lot of teams really fuck up on a weekend to weekend basis most of the cars are finishing the race and that didn't used to happen so, I think uh, I think Lewis Hamilton's right there, and I feel like this conversation maybe in a couple of years is going to be a little different. But um, Michael Schumacher is one of the richest athletes to ever live, and I think that there's uh, something to be said for that because uh, a lot of people probably don't even know who he is in North America because Formula One's not that popular over mm. here. But uh, it's a super interesting sport, and Schumi's the guy. Uh, I went probably what you would consider off the board here. Um, I know Schumacher is the sexy pick. Ayrton Senna. And Hamilton is the current pick. I went Nicky Lauda. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, this is a guy that Good came, driver. Yep. Sure. He came into the sport at a time where there was a lot of uncertainty about its future. There was a lot of uncertainty about what the limitations of the vehicles were. Um, and there was a wide gap. Like, if if you if you drove for a rich team that had a lot of money to spend on getting the car to the highest ability that it could be, then it didn't really matter if you were a good driver or not. As long as you were a competent driver, you were probably going to do pretty well. And uh, this was a poor Austrian kid that came up through the ranks that turned down a lot of opportunities in his life to have a, you know, a, an, an easy ticket 
he knew the sport in a way that I don't know that a lot of drivers today do. He he knew lap times and he knew performance of cars and 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 he reset the stage almost out of nowhere. Would would have probably won what was it? three championships in his first three years at F1, if not for a horrific crash that kept him out of two races um, that dropped him a single point out of the championship uh, his second year at F1. So um, I, I am willing to say that this is probably my least defendable pick on my list, but I think this is this comes at an age in F1 history where there was so much uncertainty with the cars that it made the driving ability that much more important, and thus the uh, you know the outcome of of what that driver did that much more important. Yeah, I'll, I'll give Nicky Lauda this much. He was uh, one of the best drivers, if not the best, of an era where the sport was incredibly unsafe, and it's sure. still insanely unsafe. Yeah. Um, but he he literally got in a fucking rocket ship uh, every weekend uh, or every second weekend. And I know he didn't think this way, but genuinely looking back on it, I look back on Formula One in the 70s and 80s being like, there was no guarantee that you were getting out of that car alive. Yeah. And at least in modern Formula One, it's like, yeah, if you get an accident, you got the Hans device, you got, you know, a lot of smart thinking in those cars. You got uh, officials everywhere on the track for like fire trucks everything but like back then yeah that there was the pretty decent chance you were actually going to die driving the car so um that's that's fair i i don't agree but nikki lauda is a, a huge name in the sport and um right up there with schumacher and Ayrton senna and and you know um big names that you know you look back on and yeah deadly guy yeah uh, NASCAR is our last one. The race where you just turn right a bunch of times. Yeah. Left, left, I guess, left. Yeah. Yeah, not, um, not an easy one for me. I don't know. This was kind of the tough one. And I actually do, I, I guess we should preface this. The reason NASCAR is on the list is James and I actually have watched NASCAR for a while. I probably haven't paid attention to it in about eight years. But there's no one that has really done anything in the last eight years that I would put on this list. Uh, other than maybe Kyle Busch, but he's a terrible person, so I'm not putting him on there. Uh, and a dirty driver. And uh, I will defend to the death that he should probably not have won half the races that he's won because he's a piece of shit. Um, but a hilarious guy. He's got a good sense of humor, I guess. Uh, my answer is Dale Earnhardt. Mm. I think that there's something to be said for Richard Petty. Um, but I think the thing with me for Dale Earnhardt was Dale Earnhardt was able to uh, brand himself in a certain way that he's considered in the NASCAR community to be the greatest of all time. And whether or not he's really put up the numbers to be considered that, and I think he has, like I think he's he's at least top four. I don't think there's a definitive right or wrong answer here. But um, he is looked at in a way, with nothing to do with his death, in such an iconic way, like like the number three car, um, you know, the 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 outfits, everything, like just the fact that he was, um, 
he was the scariest guy in the sport. And it was a sport that had nothing to do with physical face-to-face confrontation. He, he was sitting behind a wheel of a car and you didn't even fucking have to look at him while you're driving against him. And yet people were fucking terrified of this guy because not because they thought he was going to wreck you, but it was because they knew that he was going to find a way to get around you at some point. And to me, I think that's the coolest fucking thing. I've always looked up to Dale Earnhardt um, for that reason. I think that that's, that's really cool. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he was dominant at tracks where it, it was very, very difficult to, it's very difficult to win at tracks like Daytona and and Talladega, um, because they're such fast tracks and he is Mr. Restrictor Plate for a reason. He found a fucking way to win at those tracks. I think it's super impressive. Uh, Dale Earnhardt's my guy. Not a, not the wrong answer. I don't know if there is a wrong answer. NASCAR, I think, is a tough one to, to kind of say whether or not there is a right answer or not. I went Jeff Gordon. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, four-time Daytona 500 winner, 93 career NASCAR wins. And what kind of struck me as, as separating him from the rest of the bunch was the the win in 2017, like post-NASCAR retirement, he wins the 24-hour Daytona race, which is a, a road course that takes place at Daytona, only bested by the 24-hour Le Mans. Uh, he, he wins that as part of the team. Just kind of adds to that legacy where, you know, like I just said at the top, like, oh, yeah, you, you, you make four turns the whole race 100 times, how difficult is it? He comes out there, he does a road track, and he wins a 24-hour endurance race, which I think speaks a lot to uh, the competitiveness uh, of an athlete. And um, as, as a parting gift to uh, Jeff Gordon, um, I would just like to point out that his first ever race at the NASCAR level came in 1992 at the Hooters 500. And his last race at 2015 came at the headache relief 500 hmm. just kind of a perfect ending yeah to a career the hooters 500 yeah in atlanta yeah 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 there you go hmm. well, well not, not bad go. we we had like i don't know like six or seven of the same answers there like i think we yeah well, yeah, I mean, uh, but who's the goat of goats? Well, I mean, you'll have to find out next week. Um, I don't have anything really in particular to plug. I have a column every week at the high button. Um, you can read that, I guess, every Thursday about the Winnipeg Jets. So uh, I'm sure that it'll be entertaining to read this week because I don't know if you saw how they lost uh, last night, but I'm going to fucking tear into Connor Hellebuck probably, so. I have absolutely nothing to plug because uh, all I do is talk to you find people at home via this podcast. Mm. Um, but I will say plug that pie hole. Maybe of your there it is. I, I will say a very special happy birthday, a very special happy 50th birthday oh. to one Matt Sundin. Oh yeah. Who I makes, who makes me feel very old by saying he's 50. So thanks. 
Yeah, Thanks, you Matt. know the weird thing though, what I was thinking about it when I saw that Matt Sundin today was turning fifty, was that he looked fifty his entire playing career because he had a he had shaved head there and kind of looked older. Mm. What's weirder, Matt Sundin being fifty or the uh, ACC being twenty-two? I don't, I don't, I don't find either weird. I think that that's just how time works. So yeah, fine then. I guess Sundin being fifty. I don't know. I, I look at the eight. They, I've been to the ACC, so have you, but uh, I, I find it to be a horrendous piece of shit, and I hope they rebuild that fucking rink uh, at the next possible opportunity. Just just weird to think that one of the newer rinks in the, in the league is 22 yeah. years old. That's, oh, yeah. that's my point, I and guess. It's, it's, it's an awful rink. If you've mm. never been there, don't, don't go. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's <laughs> Wow. Good thing we held off that other content for next time. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. I'm telling you, this place is perfect. You're gonna make friends in no time. Get me out of here! Here, just eat that! Leave us alone! I think about you and I.